welcome to episode 9 of Movie Mumble, the monthly movie exploration and discussion podcast where we seek to broaden our cinematic horizons. I'm your host, Scott Murray, and I'm joined, as usual, by my uh, artistic, but very easy to deal with, and actually very <laughs> pleasant to be around, friends, Joel Lewis. Howdy. And Tim Gerard. Hi. Hey, I found one that was relevant to our film this time. It was good. Hey. For those of you unfamiliar with Movie Mumble, it is a monthly podcast where we get together, watch a film, and then talk about it. It's that simple. The goal is to introduce ourselves to new films, genres, styles, or themes, or just view old things with a fresh eye and fresh company. We each take turns picking a film to watch, whether it's one we already know and love or something completely new and unfamiliar, and then watch it together in the hope we find unexpected new joy along the way. There aren't any rules about what films we can pick. They can be foreign or domestic, live action or animated, new or old, famous or obscure, anything at all. After we watched each movie, we talk about it. Uh, hopefully about the film for a while, but uh, then we see where that leads us, whether it's something to do with the film, context, production, etc., our own personal movie memories, or just something else altogether. At the end of each podcast, we will announce what we are watching next month, so if you'd like to join us and sort of watch along, please do. Uh, we will always, I won't say always spoil, but we just won't bother to cover up spoilers mm -hmm. for anything we watch. Doesn't mean we'll get to spoilers, but, you know, we won't hold anything back. So if you're concerned about that sort of thing, uh, please watch the film before you listen to this podcast. This month, Tim was our movie selector, and he picked Pollock, uh, 2000. Yes, about mm -hmm. Jackson Pollock. Uh, so... We'll start off with our coin flip description. Uh, unlike last month, we do have Joel's fantastic coin. This yeah, month. I, I was telling the boys that I, I discovered that there is a fee to being a part of this co uh, podcast, <laughs> and it's bringing my fucking silver dollar. <laughs> so uh, in one dollar movie mumble tradition, our movie selector Tim will be flipping our coin, and our next selector Joel will be calling it. Uh, this will determine who gives you the description of the film. I didn't practice this time, so we'll see how this goes. Good sound. Tails. Tails. Alright. Scott, you get to decide. Mm. Actually, I want to hear what you have to say about it this uh, about this one, Joel. Okay. I need to. <laughs> um, I sort of, I know what I'm going to say. I don't think it's going to be fancy. It's going to be a back-of-the-box description. Right, and that, that's kind of what I want to talk, like, just But to what I mean is it's it, not going to be my own back-of-the-box nah, description. Right. It's just going gonna... to be that. I don't know what to do right now, so... I'm, it's it's pass on the book. Ostensibly a biopic about Jackson Pollock, and it's it's you get the sense that Ed Helms, who's starring in mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, directing mm -hmm. Harris, Harris, Ed excuse Harris. me, you did that earlier. God <laughs> damn it! I am sorry, Ed Harris. You you made a really beautiful film. Not that you're listening to this. Come on, <laughs> but it, it, you can tell that it's a labor of love. That what Harris loved about Pollock was. The, the tortured artist and the, the, the unappreciated artist and trying to push boundaries and then capturing a bit of relevancy and, and uh, um, spark of innovation and then seeing it slip away as everything eats away at every part of your life. And that, that's what this film does, is it, it just takes you through a period of time where Pollock meets his uh, first wife, well, just his wife, and from that point to the end of his life, um, kind of tracking, not really their relationship, but his trajectory as an artist, moving away from this kind of um, surrealist, but not really impressionist, but not really 
kind of motley crew of um, influences in his early work, and then when he kind of breaks free and he finally gets to do the thing we all know and love him for. Um, I like that phrase, trajectory as an artist. Yeah. Good one. So it, it, it's, it, I don't really want to go into it more than that. I mean, we can talk about individual scenes and stuff. But it, it's, it's, mm-hmm. just, it's a biopic, but it's a really well done biopic. And I'm really impressed with what Harris did as a director and as and an, as an artist. The, you, no kidding. Is there anything the man can't do? I know, right? That was going to be my first question. It's just like seeing him paint was Oh my God! I'd like one of those. Yeah, yeah, I would own one of his like copies. Right. Yeah, I, I remember you saying that. I think we talked outside mm-hmm. the podcast about that, and I, was, I didn't really get it because it's like ev- you see him create these things. <clears throat> it's it's outstanding. Mm-hmm. Just really well done. Did he direct anything else? Do we know? Uh, let's find out. That's part of the reason I have a laptop. Yeah, because <laughs> if if not, that's a shame. Because this was I really interesting camera work. Really interesting framing of shots and and great performances. Marcia who or Marcia who plays uh, his wife is mm-hmm. outstanding. The way yeah. she would kind of like enter a room and be looking at his artwork and the, the smile in her eyes was just. She, uh, IMDb really has great. one other director credit here: mm-hmm. Appaloosa, two thousand eight. Really, which he was also in. I'd be interested to see that. I it's remember, a western, right? Yeah, I remember hearing about it when it came out, but I haven't seen it so. Can't add anything meaningful to our discussion. Uh, Harrison and Winston, I'd, I'd definitely watch that. Westworld. I mean, yeah, I was yeah. going to say Westworld. Yeah, it just fit, you know. Yeah. Although he didn't direct Westworld. Right. right. Uh-huh. But, man, it was good. Man, yeah. <laughs> thank you, Tim. Oh, you're welcome. Mm, yeah, thank you. <laughs> so, short little summary. Why don't we hear from Tim about what, how this movie came into your life? Uh, <laughs> well, I'm sure you could guess how, or should I say where it came Drum into my roll, life. please. From when I worked at Blockbuster. <laughs> uh, we did it. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> Recurring <laughs> reference number one. <laughs> <laughs> so are you playing bingo at home? Please, mark your Oh, my God. We, yeah, we have, to, we have to put up a PDF of a, a movie mumble bingo card for people to play along. Uh, Scott, you were so just like burdened with the crap of that reference. You're just like uh, <laughs> carrying like uh, this existential weight of referential. Like, oh, this is funny. He's like, wait, but is it is this still funny when we're doing it many, many times? Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, that's why. Like now, when it comes up to it, I always kind of sigh internally. Like I have to talk about blockbuster. <laughs> and do we just kind of gloss over it now? Like are we going to get to that point, or is it just like you know going to beat it to death? It's the event. <laughs> um. So so anyway, so it was after I had finished my undergrad, I was working at Blockbuster, and it was it was relatively new still because I graduated in 2001 it had come out in 2000 so um, you know it was kind of probably on the new release wall still at that point you know oh god the um, new release wall <laughs> that takes me back <laughs> um, yeah. and uh, I forget what exactly made me get around to seeing it because like I think I didn't I didn't know much of like I, I, I'm sure I'd heard of Jackson Pollock but I didn't know much about I knew or I, I probably knew about him but I had never seen any of his stuff um and I was kind of intrigued because, you know, being a, a sort of modern composer, you know, you're kind of like, okay, this is, you know, you have your roots, um, your composer roots, but then it's like, well, if we're going to envelop the arts in general, you know, like there's this, 
you know, the painter roots. And a lot of times they try to draw parallels between, um, you know, composers and artists and, um, you know, like with, with Debussy kind of slapping the label of uh, impressionist on him because he was, I think actually he, he was after the time of the impressionist painters, but to a lot of people it kind of reminded them of, it was like a sonic version of impre the impressionist style. Um, so, you know, so you kind of, as you study these composers and you hear about these painters and it's like, oh, well, that kind of reminds me of, you know, so-and-so style, you know, and I think John Cage was probably one of the composers who, who was probably equated to Jackson Pollock and, and I like John Cage. So I was like, okay, oh, I should yeah, check this movie out. Four minutes and 33 seconds. 587, 422, 695. Four minutes and 33 seconds. Oh, I'm just, I just toss three numbers together and <laughs> trust people know what I'm talking about. Um, well, that, I mean, that's fair because most people don't know what the actual <laughs> no, title is. Fair, They'll yeah. be like, four and a half minutes. It's like, ugh, so fucking lazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, One day my dream is to open Soundhound or, or Shazam in an elevator and have it give me back 433. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so, well, so, you know, I guess, you know, John Cage's works that actually incorporate sound, you know, those, a lot of those had very, uh, and, and, you know, there might be criticism for this, but, you know, the, the, these elements of, of randomness, these elements of um, uh, indeterminacy is like sort of a big word that kind of gets thrown around with composers like that, where there are sort of elements that aren't, and it, it's it, it is like sometimes difficult to draw parallels because when you make sort of a physical work of visual art, like there it is, and it just exists throughout the rest of time as is. Whereas with, well, especially in the earlier years, you know, there were many multiple performances of pieces of music. Mm -hmm. And I mean, nowadays we have recordings, so we can create one definitive version, but you could always you know, do another version right. and they could still and it could be, be debated in team. Right, yeah. Um, so that's sort of one of the one of the, the the big different things, you know. You can have elements of randomness in a painting, but kind of once it's once it's there, it's there. Unless you're going to come back to it, you know. Unless you, <laughs> it'd be interesting to have an art show where like there was a painting that someone did. It was open for people to come in and you know add to it on their own, and that was part of the work. Although I'm sure that's been done before. It kind of reminds um, me of like some of the performance art that like uh, Yoko Ono would have done. Oh, okay. That idea. Well, I, I think there's one where it's. She had a, no, I, I might be conflating it because she's not the only person to have done performance arts art, but she's probably the most like known. But there's one where it, uh, uh, an artist stood naked in a gallery mm -hmm. and it was interactive. So anybody could do anything to her. Oh, I read that article. Yes. Yeah. It's horrifying. It, it was, <laughs> but it, it like. In, there was something in the tension of that experience where mm -hmm. the art could be experienced in that way, which yeah. is very interesting. In that kind of um, blending of the different. Yeah, like it, the, the, that art was taking place through an experience through time. I mean, making a painting obviously is created through time, um, but you know, you usually experience it like still, you know. Right. Um, in, in no more than three dimensions. Whereas, yeah, like that was art that was being created and experienced simultaneously through through time. Um, <clears throat> for a very brief period of time, too. Yeah, after yeah. That was, it, the artistic experience only lasted as long as the exhibition, which is an interesting concept. But we got really heady there. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you we're know, going funny. to. I but... was just going to mention that this film could easily have fallen into a absurdist discussion about what is art but it didn't. But it didn't complete the eschew the question either. Um, 
the the what is art and you know what classification does public make etc the conversations happen the idea is present it's i don't want to say peripheral because it's more present than that mm. but it's not central it's mm. just another another thing that is happening to and around pollock right. like almost everything else in the film it's about yeah. him and his life and so when the people around him are debating this sort of thing right, exactly that's what's happening but the film wasn't setting out to answer the question right. of what is art or right. what is Pollock's art you know yeah well yeah that was the thing it was about it was about history you know and I think the the discussion of what is art is is something that's constantly evolving and can only sort of I guess take place in the present because once something's been in history long enough then it kind of be it's determined that oh this has stuck around therefore it must be art <clears throat> um and that was, that, yeah, that was an interesting thing. I've, I've seen a, uh, there, there's an actual, I think, documentary that I had also seen on Netflix years ago that was like an actual interview with Jackson Pollock. And they actually had clips of the film that they are filming in this. Mm -hmm. And you get to see the actual film and see those same scenes where he's filming him from underneath through the mm -hmm. glass and everything. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you, you definitely get more of a sense of, of, so yeah, sort of what, how it was sort of affecting Pollock as opposed to, yeah, the discussion itself as a discussion. It was a, his, how it was affecting his work and his life. And um, and another documentary I'd seen was, I think it's called My Kid Can Paint That. Mm -hmm. And Yeah, I've it, heard of that one. Yeah, yeah, and it was centered around this one little girl who was doing these these paintings that people thought were amazing. And it was they were making a ton of money because it was like a six-year-old who was doing it. But then there was this point where like, oh, I think her father's helping her. And all of a sudden it was like a scandal. Um, and a lot of what they discuss in there too is like this um, and, and, and this is something I've come to realize too is I feel like a lot of people who dislike Jackson Pollock it's not because of his work it's because of how like pretentious art people will, will like like not, not we'll art people in terms of dealers <laughs> right but like the art dealers the ones who are placing a value about it who are sort of sometimes over explaining some of it um, and I remember in the, the, the documentary, My Kid Can Paint That, they had one painting that they showed an art dealer. And they're like, what do you see in this painting? And it's like, oh, this is clearly an example of, of you know, neo-cubism and blah, blah. And the person obviously studied it. And he goes on this this lengthy explanation of all the styles that are, that are in there. And he's like, this was painted by a six-year-old. You know, like that six-year-old ha has not been studying art and art history and has been consciously, consciously putting those things into it. Like, you kind of saw them from from sort of, you know, your knowledge of that. Now, on the one hand, it, you could say it's kind of seeing something that isn't there, but on the other hand, like that's that's why, you know, and being a musician, people always are, you know, a lot of times be like, why do we have to learn music theory? And, you know, why do I have to understand music? It's just, it all that matters is what sounds good. And a big part of it is, if, if this is something that's your life, that, that is your language, you know, it, it's a way of understanding what you're hearing or looking at and being able to oh, when I hear this, this is the name for that, and now I can talk to that, about that, and reference that, and this and that. So even though this kid who was like six years old, like, that kid did not know about all these different styles of art and was intentionally putting that into her work, um, to look at it later, and I guess to, to sort of classify the elements, otherwise you're just like, oh, it's a mess, you know, and then everything's kind of a mess, you know, but, but you know, I think it's, a, there's a human need to sort of classify things, you know, to, to understand them, you know. Um, Establishing and, a vo vocabulary. Right, yeah, yeah, vocabulary. That's that's better, I think, than language. But yeah, like to have terms associated with aspects of this. You know, so you like, can talk about it accurately and be understood when you're describing specific elements rather than this thing that's kind of nebulous. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's like color. Like, 
color doesn't inherently have name. We assign names to color so we can reference them and say, that is green, and someone right. goes, oh, green, I know what that looks like. That I frequency of light that I recognize right. on the Mountain Dew bottle. Yeah. Like that's so, so, in, so in that sense, I think if you look at it that way, it's a way of kind of, yeah, parsing the, the work of art and understanding the pieces of it to, to relate it to yourself and then to relate it to someone else. If you're like, oh, I saw this, this painting and it was amazing. Well, it was amazing. Well, okay, if you know what these terms mean, I can tell you about it and you can kind of get an idea in your head. Um, so, but, but, but yeah, it was that sort of the way the art dealers kind of, I don't, don't want to say ruined it, but, but kind of like, it's like it became this, the, this thing that they were putting a monetary value on. And, and you, and you see kind of his rise and fall with that too, where he's making a ton of money. He's super successful. He wants his family to come. He can finally afford to bring his family out and have Thanksgiving together and this whole thing. And then it's like, as the critics start being like, well, there are these other artists. And it was just like, well, shit, now I'm not making money because people aren't talking about me. And, and, you know, does that mean that his, his work was any less good or valuable like like I mean again once it's created it just exists you know it's not changing you know it's not like when you talk about uh, like a rock band for example from the 60s you know if you go see them live now you kind of go more for nostalgia because you're like I want to see them before they die right. not because they sound just as good as they do in their prime you know not but that like, there aren't bands that don't do sound like right like, right but yeah no for um, sure yeah but 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 that's sort of the thing is that his paintings like they don't change through time it's it's sort of yeah people's perspectives and and kind of jumping to the next trend but it, yeah there's also a lot of these critics who kind of like well we're, we're done talking about him because he's not serving our purposes anymore or, or whatever you know in terms of bringing people into a gallery and whatever and giving stuff to write about so so that sort of by default i think made the value go down and you know just like with the, these girls paintings like or this girl's paintings, like once people started saying, oh, I think her father's helping her, like the value went down. It's like, how does that change your experience of looking at a piece of art? Like the art didn't change, like, right. you know, this, this stupid, knowing about inconsequential. the context can change your experience. I mean, if you, you know? care about that sort of thing, sure. Like if you care I how, mean, even again, like, it, though. like if I go to a shooting range and the first rifle I ever shot was an M1 carbine my friend owned. I have essentially the exact same rifle, but it was my grandfather's. And I mean the exact same rifle, seriously. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, same everything. If I'm shooting my grandfather's, it's a more meaningful experience to me because he owned it. But it's the same rifle, same ammunition, same range, same everything else. But the context of the experience adds value for me. So the, if there are people who really, the knowing that it was made by a child goes, oh, that's interesting for them. It holds some sort of hook that adds value. I, I, I'm sorry, Joel. No, I know you're ahead. trying to jump no. in. I, I, I don't think it can, should completely devalue or value the experience. So much as it should just adjust the value. Does that make sense, though? I, I agree with what you're saying about why is it an all or nothing. That's I mean, I sort think, of weird. That's too much to me. Yeah. You know. I think that, but I think that's the problem. Is that part of why it does is because the 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 critics and the reviewers like decide, like this because. Right. One of, and I'll jump to this. My my favorite line from the whole film is, oh fuck, how's it go? Uh, it was it like paint is paint and surface is surface. And it's basically he just boils this down to like this is all this is, it's paint on surface. And one of the things this kind of made me realize is how much of art is is a lie. Art is <laughs> one thing pretending to be something else, and. 
I feel like around this era, not just with Jackson Pollock, but with, with a lot of modern art, uh, visual art anyway, it broke away from that. Like this is supposed to be experienced as paint on canvas, not how much does this look like the real thing right. or how much, you know, uh, does this look like a blurry version of a real thing? Like these are things that do not exist in nature. And there's one part where he talked about that too, like getting an image in his head and trying to make that image and he has to push the image away. He has to make this not look purposely not look like something that already exists yeah. you know rejecting objectism yeah um, what I was going to say about the the my kid could paint that thing is there's something to be said about presenting the artwork as um, painted by a six year old and then finding out later that it wasn't in fact that I think the problem is presentation mm-hmm because if you if you present something and you deceive someone in that way, that is where the value comes out of it. That's how I I would right. see it as a critic. That you yeah. led me to believe that we had a new genius on our hands that was only going to be more innovative. And since she's starting at such a young age, she has so much more room to grow. Here's a potential new thing. And then I find out that it wasn't just her. If you had presented, here's a six-year-old with a little bit of help, that's one value evaluation of the value of that art. Right. And it's honest. You're presenting to it with all the facts. Whereas if you posture that my six-year-old made this mm-hmm. without any other influence, that deception is what devalues it, I think. I think that that's the, the transaction of value that's happening in yeah. that, that case. And I mean, I mean and, and I agree about like the deception part of it, but, but it's also the, the way that the value was also placed because of the hype. I guess it goes back even before that. Like, and, and you know, I mean, you made a good point about like why, if it was a six-year-old, it should be more valuable. But but even that like like I guess I'm questioning even at that point like um, you know like if you know there, like there's a ton of music that like Mozart wrote when he was like what twelve or whatever probably even younger and like if you found out nowadays like oh no his dad actually helped him write that music like would you sort of be like ugh I'm never playing those works by Mozart again because they're tainted now with this deception and it's like well if you just appreciate him for how they sound. You know, I think I see what you mean because there surely would be people like that. Right. But in the music world, there wouldn't be as many people like that as there would be in the art world with the same issue. And I think that just me, yeah. the, the, the majority theory or pervasive pervasive attitude mm-hmm. is different in each field of art. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that the people in the art, the visual art field, the ones making those decisions are not the artists. They're the gallery owners who are pushing other people's art and trying to make money off of it. I mean, you know, yes, the artist does see some of that, but but I don't know how much, like, artists would care. I don't know. Maybe they would. I, I mean, that was I something else I was going to bring about what you said, Scott, about the discussion of what is art is peripheral, and it's kind of centered in one character, and it's Jeffrey Tambor's art critic. Mm-hmm. And he talks about the idea that paint is paint and surface is surface. And he tells Pollock after he's kind of fallen out of popularity that it's gorgeous, but gorgeous isn't good enough anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Which, which they were so close to touching on what was, I think, sort of actually happening, but then it sort of it turned a little bit. Right. One exit off was that Pollock is still doing the same thing, and it's still as good as it ever was, but that 
eventually art has to move on art moves on tastes move on people just people don't stick with the same thing for their mm -hmm. lifetimes some non-zero number of people do but the the herd the money-making herd shifts and changes and ebbs and flows like the tides mm -hmm. so and it's interesting it's just, again that yeah. that commentary that idea of the progression of art doesn't come from an artist in the film mm -hmm. it comes from the critic, the critic. right um, it's interesting that you you just on that paint especially but also a lot of visual mediums photography and, and sculpture and whatnot or gallery art I guess I'll say is its value is generally determined not by the artist or by the audience but by the the gallery owners basically mm -hmm. who right. yeah have the power to you know make something live or die they say this is right. important uh, a little differently right. than, yeah. than other things like film that you know Sure, producers and whatnot have the power to make a film live or die, but then not really because if the audience doesn't go see it, right. uh, too bad. <clears throat> All of your yeah, this director's got talent meant nothing, mm -hmm. you know. And the room is a great example. Of that. Yeah, there's yeah. no big studio um, pushing it or yeah. killing it. But, but it that sort of uh, I guess that that environment that exists even in other formats in music, especially in popular music. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, yeah. the artists and the audiences aren't really the people saying what's next. It's these right. producers and talent seekers and agents going, Boy that's the kid I want to see on my next record, you know, yeah. as they pull a <laughs> large cigar out of their mouth and get mm -hmm. back into their 1950s car. Right. Um, <laughs> but but it's... <laughs> she missed a baby. Especially <laughs> present day, it's less so in a lot of places. And especially, especially, almost every interaction we have with gallery art and with painting in particular comes from that environment unless it's you know classical you know van gogh mm -hmm. if it's anything from from you know pollock's period on even before that really it was almost certainly presented to us at the decision of a gallery person mm -hmm. that there's it's it's much more difficult in gallery art to access a broader range of things because we as the audience have a lot more command over film and a lot more command over music, especially with the internet now, mm -hmm. over what's good and what isn't, as do the artists. But gallery art doesn't... For whatever reason, my pretty much all my experiences with it have been through a gallery person's decision, you know? Mm -hmm. See, I, I find a lot of artwork through Instagram oh. and Twitter. And I mean, I was going to say, like, internet is helping, but for some reason it doesn't seem... As dressed as dramatic or as widespread as with, especially with music, mm. or even with film, or with video gaming, yeah. that there's been that break away from, you know, the the trendsetters, you know, who don't don't make their own art but control other people's. Mm -hmm. That breakaway has been larger in so many other forms. And some of that, I'm sure, is just that I'm much more connected to the other forms of art than I am the gallery art. If I, I was, I'm sure you among know. Our artists, visual artists circles on those kind of neural nets of the internet. Yeah, it's They're around. In... But it's much less public. No, that's, I, I, yeah. I, I could see that for sure. Um, and I, I want to circle it back to what I was talking to you about, Tim, that just it... Uh, yes, you just you, you clicked for me that, oh, mm -hmm. yeah, there's these people who aren't making the art who are deciding it for me. Right. Mm -hmm. it's, that's a sort of an uncomfortable feeling yeah well and, and I mean I think this is 
related to that whole topic, but it's a different part of it too, I think, is that like with, with visual art, or at least like with painting, maybe not necessarily with photography, because now with digital photos, you know, it works differently in terms of being widespread. But like, I've gone into galleries and stuff like that, and I'm like, oh, I want that. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's $800. Now, as, as a fellow artist, it's like, yes, you deserve $800 for that piece of work, but I do not have $800 to give for mm-hmm. that for that work. And it's much easier to say, I'm going to spend $30 to go to the symphony or 10 to 15 to $20 to go see a movie. So all those things make their money in little bits from everybody. Whereas like this one work of art, like you've got to get all that money from one person. And I think that's part of what, what what's kind of tough about it too. Um, I think the other thing that's difficult about visual art now is because of prints mm-hmm. and the idea that you can own a copy of this iconic thing mm-hmm. so easily for so reasonably priced, mm-hmm. it kind of becomes Muzak in a sense. When I think about Pollock's It's like work, the MP3 of Right, <laughs> of but music. No, what, I, what, what I'm thinking is that when I was thinking about Pollock before watching this, it's just kind of like you have a vague sense of what his stuff looked like. Mm-hmm. There's these strings, it's splatter art, it has this... They say wet spaghetti at one point, or hard macaroni or something. Baked that macaroni. Baked macaroni. Baked yeah, macaroni. That aesthetic. And you have it in your mind, and it's kind of, it, that's kind of all it is. From You see, think Pollock, that's the reference you have, and that's as far as the brain goes, at least for the, the casual consumer of visual art, as I am. Well, I, I wouldn't say that. But it, um, when you, we're looking at it on screen and we're seeing uh, Harris make these... I don't even know if they're close, but they're gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And you see and you, 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 you experience the cacophony that's going on there. It, it reframes in a way like that occurred on canvas in this one snapshot. And this is a unique thing, a unique moment in art history. And it kind of is cheap that I can spend $25 and get a framed print of it. Mm. And it... I don't know what that, my point was a, with that's that. That's a whole separate discussion about prints the of paintings. commodification of mm-hmm. visual yeah, art. Because, well, especially with like with a photo, and especially now that we've moved to digital photography, mm-hmm. prints were always the medium for the photo. Yeah. You'd take your negatives and get them printed. And even now at digital, you might get them printed at a place that has the capacity to make high-quality prints. Right. And then that's the thing, you know? So The object. So the, even the... with all the... You know, digital protections so you can post it online and people won't just copy and etc. That's that's been its own struggle. But that looking at a photo on a screen is always somehow different from looking at it on a print. But it has always been a print and mm-hmm. nothing else. Right. A print of a painting is not the painting. Right. You know, it's are, not the two object. prints of the photo are essentially the same thing. Right. The mm-hmm. same same size, same paper, etc. Gloss. You know, yada yada. It's oh, I have this print that I bought off the wall from the museum, but he has that print that he bought just straight from the artist on his website, right. and you could just swap the two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the the photograph is always the print. But the painting is the painting. It's paint and surface. So when it's a print of that, there's a, there's a, a distance, a sort of a step away. So on the one hand, yeah, it's definitely weird that you can just you know pay $25 and get a print of a painting, but on the other hand, it almo- almost makes sense. Because... Unless you're gonna go buy La painting, you're never gonna have it. Right. And not even I'm gonna get the finest replicator on earth to make me an identical painting. Doesn't matter. Right. Not the same. Mm-hmm. See, and the other thing I was gonna say is that there, 
with that kind of almost oversaturation of the print culture, like to be able to buy prints of visual art, the allure and the mystery of the object, the artifact, the first instance of this design is kind of lost because it, it's it's the market's flooded with it. You could see a Pollock anywhere, yeah, from any 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 lighting on the toilet in like. You, I think I've seen like prints of visual, like really masterpieces in bathrooms and stuff. It's just like it. it, it instead of, I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I it's I, it's a unique method of art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that you can't get from a screen. Yeah. I if I could. If you need to, to pivot, photography go ahead. for a yeah, second, of I, yeah. again, I, you know, the size of a photo print changes your perception of it, your experience with it, but mm-hmm. they're sort of all equally valid. Maybe the photographer says it's supposed to be this size, and that's what they intended, sure. But the point being that, again, because it's all prints that come out of the camera, having a, a you know, wall sized picture of the photo someone took of the cityscape and having a little, you know, 8x10. Are they're gonna be different, and you're gonna feel them differently when you look at them? But they're sort of just both valid. But the painting has a size that it's in yeah. for a reason. Mm-hmm. I my closest experience with that was Picasso's Guernica, which I saw pictures of in textbooks for uh, you know I don't know how many different years of school I would see a picture of that in a textbook because let's look at that when we're talking about the Spanish Civil War let's look at that when we're talking about art let's look at that when we're talking about Picasso right. yeah mm-hmm. um, and it was always just another Picasso painting and then I went to Spain and I saw it and it's huge and at first I was sort of angry at these dumbasses who you know put a little panel in my textbook like why didn't you make this a whole double page print what the hell it's big and it needs to be big it's supposed to be big but then the longer I stood there, the more I realized that you could never do it. That I could get a one-to-one size print, and it still wouldn't quite be the same. But, the same. but that, regardless, I'm sorry, Joel. No, go ahead. It was it needed to be experienced in its size, you know. I'm, and maybe I'm picking too much on photography that it, to say it doesn't need to. Maybe the other photos that need to be a certain size, right. I guess, that come out better from one another. But the point being that. Since prints are variable, you know, they're less attached to that size than a painting is. What I was going to say is just there's another example of that disconnect between size and scale and the over-reproduction of... Mona Lisa mm. is a tiny, tiny painting. Mm-hmm. And people... I've never seen it. But when I've heard of people going to the Louvre and seeing it, they're shocked. Because it's this iconic Da Vinci work that is probably one of the most recognizable faces... Ever, mm-hmm. and they line up to see it. And it's this tiny little thing, and they 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 they're disappointed by the scale because they they've built it up in their minds as this right. massive masterwork. Like I'm, it is a masterwork, but it's mm-hmm. it's the scale is important. Well, I mean, you know, like like you know, we make the comparison, you know, to film and music. Same thing. Like when a director is making a film, he's planning on you seeing it on you know the IMAX screen right. or the big screen. And now we watch movies on our phones. Yep. You know, so it's like you know, and, and granted, that. yeah, and you know, and I think there it's 
you know we can kind of justify because it's like well it's a screen you know it the, you know the i guess you could argue back and forth is the version in the theaters the original or is that just a bigger copy and then we can watch a different site like you were saying with photography it's sort you of know, you're gonna get a different is, experience each way yeah. but who's to say which one is right yeah right i have a great example i just rewatched dunkirk a couple days ago mm -hmm. for the first time since i saw it in imax mm -hmm. and there were things i noticed for the first time partly because of my second viewing but partly because things on the imax screen were just in the periphery right you could actually so see they were it. things i didn't <laughs> like i didn't not see them you know mm -hmm. obviously they were there but i didn't notice them right. like like a Oh, I've lost the name, but in theater when they do the three-sided thing across the top and the two sides to, to frame their scene, right. you're not supposed to be looking at that, mm -hmm. you know, looking at, oh, that's painted to look like a pulled-back curtain, but and you don't notice it. But right. if it were gone, you'd feel it. Yeah. So there were details I only noticed, like, oh, that was over there. Oh, that was over... Oh, but on the other hand, the film felt tinier, you know, mm -hmm. cramped almost, because mm -hmm. I didn't have that huge sweeping periphery right. in the IMAX screen. And see, the other thing is, like, is the experience of film the same or the truest version of it if it's not communal, if it's not a night out, if it's not with popcorn and screaming kids. And, mm -hmm. Like, and that, that's a whole boy, other aspect. That is a huge it. discussion because of the internet, essentially. Yeah, for sure. Because mm -hmm. for the longest time, the only way to see a film was in a theater. And then, you know, even with home video, it was always secondary. You know, you had, usually you wanted to go to the theater to see the film. Mm -hmm. Direct-to-video was a thing, but it was just, it was around. Right. But now with the internet, just straight internet releases or straight up Netflix releases, right. etc., right. are becoming much more normal. You know that because mm -hmm. before, no matter what you see, even if you didn't see the film until it was on DVD or on VHS or what have you, you there was always a sense of having missed the film, right? Yeah, missed its run. You know, yeah. but not anymore. There are things that have never been on a big screen. Mm -hmm. So you know the movie. The movie King has a form. Simba's pride. <laughs> so the movie as a form. What does that mean for the for the film? Is it changing? Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, it... you know, I mean, I think it's 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 widening the genre. You know, there are still films that will go to theaters, yeah. and then there are fil films that yeah that get like straight to video or straight to Netflix or or TV shows. Well, you know, in, you know, we could lump that in too with the way TV mm -hmm. has been evolving. You know, like TV used to be okay, tune in the same time next week and now it's like Netflix like here, here's 13 episodes all at once, you know, binge watch it do what you want, you know. And that's not to say like the quality has gone down. Like the vo the sheer volume of content that's coming out mm -hmm. now is is staggering. Yeah. And the quality of it, it I mean there's a lot of good that's coming out of that method, right? Yeah. Like you don't have to market it you don't have to send prints out to theaters. Mm -hmm. That's a whole different way to, to sell a thing and distribute a thing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make an embarrassing admission. The first, 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 first time you were talking about it, I thought you said prints with the artist. <laughs> and then you started talking about prints. And I was like, I don't know what the hell he was talking about with prints before. But I'm just going to latch under the prints thing. Because that makes sense. <laughs> the, the, the Animaniacs fingerprints joke. <laughs> And just now it clicked that the whole time you just meant prints. Duh. Fingerprints. Oh, good lord! <laughs> if I could pay thirty-five dollars to take prints home with me, that—that's—that's that's a thing I do. Jesus. Wait, the price went up by ten bucks now. Uh, but, um, jeez. <laughs> Dollar said, store prints. You said twenty-five earlier. Because um, at okay. first I was like, "What? What did prints do?" Like he did a lot of art and a lot of cool stuff, and right. I was like, "I just I 
was pondering what, what exactly did he do? Did he do his painting? Whole he to his music? I, I was just trilogy. thinking that. Yeah, the, the subtitles. Yeah, but then. <laughs> well, I was no like when I was confusing the. You guys thought I was talking about the Coin of Scotty oh, trilogy yeah, rather right. than the Matrix. Yeah. First Matrix reference. Hey, yo. Yeah. Um, Joel did it, not me. <laughs> yeah. What were we talking about? It's what I do. I steal sticks. Right. Stealing my own stealing sticks. <laughs> it's Is that meta? Yeah. Yes! Okay. Now you're stealing my shit. <laughs> I am Rapid fire. Between the two of these guys on the couch. <laughs> just, just, I am enveloped in stereo. <laughs> buffoonery. Uh, yes, buffoonery in stereo. And glorious Technicolor. <laughs> yeah. But just um, like, it, I, I wonder if there's going to be a point where. Unless I'm colorblind. No, I'm. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm sorry, Joel, please. No, it's okay. Um. Just, I wonder if there'll be a point where there'll be a nostalgia for the theater release, and we'll have people putting up money or theaters saying, hey, this Netflix movie was really, really cool. It never got a theater release. Right. One of two Here's things would have thing. to happen for that to be a thing. Either theaters would have to vanish entirely, or at the very least, theater releases would have to become the minority. You know what I mean? Mm. That, which might happen, I don't know, I can't see the future. You know that, what because, if there's a Netflix theater chain? Hmm. That's an interesting that you know Netflix competing against Regal and United Artists and whatnot. Yeah, that would be because there would be like yeah the the really Netflix weird. original um, release and that's the only place you can see this is in the Netflix theater. Theater. Netflix. If you do this, I want some credit. Like I just yeah. want a footnote of something. Like I, I'm skeptical about that happening. Well, no, like I but, mean, yeah, yeah. That'd be weird. But no, yeah, I just because that because. Because even now, you know, the standard is for a film to come out in a theater. Right. And then make your way to homes and streaming services mm-hmm. and whatnot. So that that would have to be unusual. It would have mm-hmm. to be only some films that get theater releases at all. And other films that do well enough to warrant a later theater release or okay. something. You know, that, that for that to be the nostalgia for the theater release. Um, which, I, again, I don't know if that may or may, or may not happen. But yeah, not soon. <laughs> But a, an excellent question, though, Joel. Certainly. No. Well, I think it's it, you know it's another parallel, I think, to the whole, you know, to 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 music. You know, like you've got the, you know, going to see the symphony live, versus you know listening to a recording of a symphony on vinyl, with the you know really good speakers, versus listening to a CD of a recording, versus listening to an MP3 of a recording. You know, like you have these stages of, you know, copy of a copy being being right. removed. MP3 you know. or it's wave or yeah. it's the compression rates, the, yeah. the headphones. And uh yeah, so I mean I think that's part of it too is like I you know a lot of there have been a lot of symphonies I think who have had to like disband, shut down, I don't know what you would call it, but you know, because people aren't going to the symphony anymore. And then you know there are probably different reasons for that. Some of it could be just that um you know, uh, the the people who are symphony goers could be kind of f- getting fewer in number as they age out. You know, it could be, um, you know, the prices going up more expensive, you know, like younger people can't afford the theater, you know, and, you know, well, why, why, why go hear a recording of something when I could just download the MP3 for free and listen to it on, you know, in my headphones while I'm walking to class or whatever. Um, so you know, it's I, I kind of see that parallel with like film, where there's that that physical event of going to the place, sitting there and experiencing this, you know, feeling the weight of it, you know, feeling the, not just hearing the music, not just experiencing it in your ears, but but feeling what's happening to you, mm-hmm. 
you know, and so, or, you know, so, no, I'll just, I'll just listen to it at home where I'm comfortable and I don't have to talk to anybody. <laughs> I wanted to bring it back to uh, Pollock with... Oh, like, yeah, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> just one of my favorite quotes maybe ever is from this movie and Damn. I've just seen it for the first time. And it's Tambor. It's no no kidding. Like and it's it's Jeffrey Tambor, that critic saying again, and he says surrealists confuse literature with painting and they will never win. Holy huh. shit. As someone who considers himself a surrealist in the fiction and the poetry that he writes, me. That is so much at the heart of what I love about surrealist painting and surrealism period in mm -hmm. film, in painting, in writing, is that it's moving towards literature, but it's somewhere between the visual and the verbs, and it's that that just was like yeah. cutting open my soul. That was really, really cool. And so, yeah. so Joel, I for sure know what surrealism is. Why don't you explain <laughs> it for some of our listeners who, who may not know so, and use words that, you know. <laughs> so Noah and uh, Jake used to have a podcast called Poetry Den, mm -hmm. and I was the only, first and only guest star on that, and we did talk about the definition of surrealism. We never really hammered out what it is. Uh -huh. But it's the idea, I've always thought of it like what you're, subconscious does to information during dreams so it takes okay. the input of reality in your subconscious mind and it melds it and twists it into things that kind of make sense but they make sense in a certain framework of time and that that's kind of what I, it's come to mean to me is that it's it's the expression of dreams or the idea of putting your un unpolished imagination out okay that's that's kind of where it come when i think about it what yeah. comes out of me that i call surrealism okay. is what that is so like what's different from like abstract whereas abstract you know could be something that doesn't at all exist in reality where your dreams like usually there are people and there are elements of real life that are distorted and worked right. okay um, a really good example of it is when when you catch something out of the corner of your eye and you can you conflate it into something else mm -hmm. so if you like you're standing at a stoplight and there's a bag flying in the corner and it looks like it's somebody with a balloon head mm -hmm. like you know in your mind that that that's not reality and right. as you turn to re it comes into focus those two things are distinct. The person walking by and the bag flying in the wind. Mm -hmm. I hate that I'm referring it's the most to a beautiful American thing movie. that you've ever seen. I hate that movie. Um, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> For reference, Tim now grabbed a plastic bag off the coffee table. Now when I put you in a credit as a, a sound production <laughs> Foley, Foley artist. artist, yeah. Hey, um, look at you both. <laughs> I didn't yeah. know that word. And for the record, I was being I was being uh, sarcastic there. I wasn't being pretentious that like I know it's really as right. but the audience doesn't. That was, that was more for me than anything. Um, and I did have a discussion with Noah also, and not so much discussing what surrealism surrealism was, but what it wasn't and how people misuse it. And one of the examples he uses, uh, people have said like, oh, I saw a celebrity at the airport and it was surreal. And it's like, well, no, it's not surreal because it actually happened. Right. Because if it can actually happen, then it's not surreal. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and I was like, okay, like, I understand how not to use it. But so. 
I, I think it's kind of like the in-between space between brain synapses is that you you know that these two things are connected mm-hmm. and they're distinct but for some reason your neurons are firing in such a way to conflate them together and that's the image that's the idea that's the concept gotcha. that you try to represent in either visual film or on the page mm-hmm. okay um, well I learned something so thank you. I've exhausted all of my. So so I'm sorry. Now that I jumped in, because I, no, I wanted to. As you were discussing that, I, I realized like I don't quite get the gravity of that quote because I don't have as solidified as a definition of surrealism. So right. so please discuss that further, you know, for our audience. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it was just it. it... Ah, Tim, you think our audience is really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Bunch of proles. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that word means either. <laughs> it's the most fucking pretentious thing. Well, apparently, your audience is even more pretentious than calling a movie a picture. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you picked up on that because that's yep. why I use that hashtag. I don't know, listeners, if you you follow me on Instagram or Twitter, but I put a bunch of films Wait, up. Y- why don't you do it? Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? I thought, Stay tuned after I, I the episode. You like us? <laughs> you don't really like us. You really don't um, like us. Uh, <laughs> the anti-acceptance like, speech. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I I have used that phrase to refer to a movie only a handful of times. Picture ever, mm-hmm. and most of those times were probably ironic. A few times it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Something what a picture. about it just felt right, maybe. Mm-hmm. But for uh-huh. the most part, it was jokey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. In the same way that I sometimes call it a film and sometimes call it a movie. It's mm. like calling Robert De Niro Bobby. Like, you just don't. <laughs> th- there, there's a certain level Bobby that you're presuming upon when you say Bobby instead of Mr. De Niro. <laughs> it's like calling Mark Wahlberg Mark Wahlberg or Marky Mark. Right. You do one or the other depending on <laughs> on the film he was in and what he was doing in it, you know? <laughs> right. But he's still the same guy. <laughs> so. Well, see, I, I equate it to the, uh, um, you know, as a as a classically trained musician, there's a lot of jokes made about how people mispronounce certain composers' names. So, of course, you have everyone who gets you know, made fun of for pronouncing it Batch. And then it's like, no, it's Bach, you idiots. But then when you get to school and you realize that actually the CH has more of the H sort of sound. So it's actually Bach. Bach. How do you spell that? But then the how do you say that with being accurate but without being too pretentious? So it's, it's like yeah. the movie, film, or picture. Do you say Bach? Do you say Bach? Or do you say Bach? Like somewhere in the middle. Right. And that's what, you're, what you shoot for. So it's like that, like film. Like that's the most pretentious I'm going to get about this. This right. is a movie. It's a film. But I'm not going to say, oh, the picture. <laughs> Where does talkie fit into that? Can we call it? Is that okay? <laughs> I love that. Or oh, I love, uh, um, uh, or even better would be the, the uh, Airbender reference to call them movers. movers. Like from, uh, from Legend of Korra. Yeah. <laughs> Instead American of movies, they're movers. movers yeah. Yeah. Um, what were you talking about? You were going to explain oh, the, quote. the quote that you liked. And well, just liked. that it, it's kind of another way to describe surrealism is kind of synesthesia okay um and that's that's something i've only recently really kind of come to understand is another kind of misfiring is a misnomer that it's it's experiencing a a sense different from how you would think it would i can taste colors yeah yeah one of the the more stereotypical right um so it's it's kind of like that. So when he talks about surrealism trying moving towards literature, 
it's kind of the synesthesia or synes artistry of trying to get across literary concepts or things that could only be described in words through pictures. And it, it, that statement, I felt, was more about surrealism than it was about art or literature. And it really hammered it home for me. That that could have been my description mm-hmm. for surrealism, yeah. is what he said. And I, it might be just something that struck a chord with me, because I identify as a surrealist. Mm-hmm. But, I want to point out that with movers and Legend of Korra, we could have... It's the same phrase. We could have called them movers. Right. <laughs> They're moving pictures, which yeah. became movies, but they could have just been movers. Right. And then talkers, instead of movies and talkies. Yeah. yeah. And then movers could have outlasted talkers the way movies outlasted talkies, or vice versa, or what have you. But it's so it's just it's weird to sit here and go, oh, movers, ha, huh? what a quaint phrase. No, we call them that. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's essentially. It's yeah. the same thing. It's <laughs> odd. Like, why did we stop with talkies? Because I feel like that could have been just as easy as movie. Well, yeah, and that was the more recent. Doesn't... You know, yeah. like why why do I we go back? If maybe yeah. that they were used as a distinction. At one point, right, movies were silent right, and talkies were not. But no, then yeah. talkies just so completely con- so subsumed the entire, you know, art, the entire art form yeah. that there was now only ever talkies and not movies, and then it happened so quickly that talkies just became the new movies. Right. I, I, I think I don't know movie about, probably more accurately about, describes the whole swath of film. That's a cultural, social linguistics is not mm. my my uh, forte. forte, foray, <laughs> forage. Porridge. Forgive. Forget. Fume. Self-barbecue. What the hell just Welcome to Joel's Surrealism Podcast. (laughs) Or perhaps just Joel's Reading the Dictionary Podcast. Word Vomit Podcast. Somebody else talking about (laughs) (laughs) I could could go back to to sort of my origin with Pollock. I I definitely... No, no, that was me too. I just sort of went off. But... uh, so like this like art has evolved all over the place. Right, yeah. Um so so yeah, so I think it 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 came to me at a good point too because it was right after I finished my degree in, you know, music composition and I wanted to be a film composer even at that point and I was working at Blockbuster. So it's just like, you know, this sort of like okay, like I'm not really doing anything with with my art and um so it was it was really great to see this this story about this struggling artist. Um, and it's it's interesting too the the sort of parts of it that I kind of sometimes feel like I draw parallels to. Sometimes I I feel like fortunate that my my life isn't like Pollock's, but then other times like okay, well I shouldn't compare myself to him because like you know I'm I'm not going to get that level of notoriety because I, I I don't see myself being the type of person who invents a new genre. You know like um, especially not in this day and age like things move way too quickly. You know. Um, but, you know, so, the, the, you know, there's that sort of um, watching it with the whole like, oh, maybe maybe this is why I'm not a successful artist because, you know, I'm not a drunk. I, I, you know, I didn't have this sort of like really kind of, you know, not terrible. He didn't have a terrible past with his family, but you could tell there were kind of issues there. You always get this sense like his mother wasn't as proud of him as she was of all her other sons, right. you know, like and, you know, that was sort of portrayed master masterfully through I, I don't know the actress's name but the woman who played his mother she just like kind of glossed over anytime you know he was there and it was just kind of like yeah well you know 
this brother's in the military and he's doing this and he's got a wife and kid and this you know um and it just you could see that there's that part of him that was always trying to get his mother's approval and it's like wow how much of all of what he is is because of that one driving thing you know um but um you know so it's like i didn't sort of have that that level of turmoil growing up so it's like maybe that's why i'm not a good enough artist i don't have enough pain inside that i'm trying to get out you know um but then, you know, like I said, you know, like I'm, I'm not an alcoholic, so I'm not, you know, sort of going through this sort of like, oh, you know, and out of this and that and this this roller coaster of things, it's like, oh, okay, this new idea was born, you know, it's just kind of like, hey, okay, yeah, I, I kind of want to, you know, do these film scores, that'd be kind of neat, right? Okay, how do I do that? You know, there's, there, there isn't this, I don't know, I still always feel like I'm on sort of a hopefully steady incline but there there haven't been as many sort of dips and turns and crashes along the way you know um but then on the other hand it's kind of like yeah that feeling of like when you know when she's talking to him about the the painting he's working on and she's like well it's not this style and it's this style and he's like why don't you fucking paint it you know and there have been so many times in my life where you you get sort of people who have opinions about like what you should be doing not necessarily stylistically but as a way of making money or you know and and you know they're and and I, you know I do this too I think we're all all guilty of this is kind of looking at someone else's situation from the outside and sort of things either being obvious or at least noticing things that they don't notice cuz they're in it but it's like you know kind of making notice of those things doesn't make it so that oh, okay, there's the answer, I've got it, you know. Oh, well, why don't you try to get a job doing this? Like, oh, sure, I'll just show up at, you know, some news station and be like, I'm your new composer for, for newscasts, give me that job and start paying me and I'm just going to sit here and write music every time there's breaking news, you know. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, there's you've got to build a portfolio that's specifically geared towards that. You've got to, you know, but but even in that sense, that's also more for, like, you know, making money from it. And that's one of the things I was kind of envious of him is, what brought him fame and fortune was him becoming his purest self, you know, breaking through all of the shit from the outside of, you know, emulating this style and mimicking this painter and this and this and that is when he finally cast all that aside and, and, and just did what was his, you know, and boom, all of a sudden he blew up. So it's just like, okay, as much as I keep telling you, I say, okay, I'm just going to do what I want to do and what I feel the need and what's inside of me. But then, Oh, I got to go to work tomorrow, you know, so I can't stay up till three in the morning, you know, doing what I want to do, you know. You know and, it's funny and, that you, for most artists, the issue is here's what I want to do and here's what will make money. They're yeah. separate things. Mm-hmm. So the I, the path they're looking for is I'll do what people want to make money and get spread enough that then I can do what I want and I'm I'm far reaching enough that it will reach the people it needs to reach to make me money. You know, to sort of mm. shift gears into making money with the thing you want by first just doing what makes money. Does that make sense? Like, Oh, oh yeah. I mean, yeah, that I, is the struggle. Like, do you want to well, make, make money or do you want to be yourself or somewhere yeah, in the middle? And know? so the hope is that I, I, I want to make noir films, but man, there's not enough of a market for them. So I'll make, I'll, t- I'll be the new Michael Bay and I'll just make regular old cash every month, every year, whatever films. And then once I'm known as this great director I'll go make noir films and now that everyone knows who I am the right people who like noir films will go watch it and I can make money and even though it's not the same big blockbuster money before it'll be enough you know sort of mm-hmm. you want to make the transition but yeah. that didn't happen for Pollock that 
you know, he had some success with his, you know, before he did the drip painting, mm-hmm. right? But not the, like you said, not the make it big boom success. You know, that didn't happen until he hit the thing he wanted. And that doesn't doesn't happen for most people. Right. And it, it just, it, the cosmos sort of aligned. The right people came along right. at the right time. And it wasn't the instant mouth either. It. That's the mm-hmm. other thing is that like he found that and then it was like months and then years and then, hey, now we get it. It's not mm. just Jeffrey Tambor's character. Mm-hmm. Now life is in, Life magazine's involved, and now they're going to make a movie. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. Well, and, and what I what I especially liked about your metaphor, and what's so true about it, and why it makes sense on paper, you know, like we said, oh, to make money, I'll do these Michael Bay sort of films. Uh, but right, you know, like, do, like any jag hole could to, just walk into Hollywood and be like, I'm going to make a Michael Bay style film. Right. And, is and that, that's sort of even the... Even that is still you know, difficult. It's right. maybe less difficult, but it's... Mostly impossible. It. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it's, oh, well, I'll just, I'll just get into some galleries with whatever the galleries are looking for, you know, mm-hmm. first. Right. What, what are you guys doing? They're, they're doing... Oh, they're do, they're doing cubism. I'll do some cubisms. So this gallery features me, and then maybe I can find the right person to talk to to sell my. Or, yeah, I'm not just gonna walk in and start putting right. cubism on a wall. Like, right, it's not. You know, 50 people are doing cubism this month. We don't need any more cubism. Right. You know, do something. You know, it's, and it, it's so it's just that like the, the the easier route is easy. It's just the less difficult right. route. Oh yeah, they're both. But it's still, still, still yeah. the, the tough route of an artist looking for an audience. Yeah. And, and that's sort of the, the trap you can fall into, too, because, like, I mean, you know, look at John Williams, a good example. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know that he necessarily got into film music so that he could kind of finance doing his stage works. But how many of John Williams, like, pure classical stage works have you guys heard? Don't I? Yeah. So, so you know, you, and, and again, I don't know that that's the case, but if that is the case where it's like, oh, yeah, I'll do this film music so I can get popular and get money and get the recognition, right. and then I could do my, my, my violin concerto and this and that, and it's just like... Oh, wait, no one cares. Yeah, no one so, cares. You know, some, get on the some, stage and fucking play Star Wars. Right. That's all we want to hear. <laughs> Indiana Jones, but, that's but, it. But, 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 yeah. Like sometimes then but I wrote a horn shift shift shut matter, the fuck you know? up. <laughs> sometimes then you can you can't actually make the shift that you hoped to make in the right. first place. You know, yeah. there's so many parts of that process that could not happen the way you wanted them to. Right. Um, it's, it's tough. But so yeah, so it's you know again there there, there are so many different elements of the movie that I either yeah aligned with. And, or empathized with, or was like grateful for be, yeah, being a difference, and so it was nice to kind of go through that that journey, and um, and uh, oh, that was the other thing. So I hadn't, I, I had seen like yeah, like prints and pictures and stuff like that of of Jackson's Jackson Pollock's actual stuff, and sort of like I said, even the ones that you know Ed Harris had done in the film, I was like, yes, I would own one of those. Like those those are still amazing. Um, and the so the first time I actually saw Jackson Pollock in person, I believe it was when I was still living in Rhode Island at the Rhode Island School of Design Museum, and it was like encased in like plexiglass, and like I just like stared at this thing for like I don't I don't know how long it was, but like yeah, and where you say like a print of that would not do it justice, like seeing the the, the texture of the paint. I think in this one there was even some of that silvery paint that he uses at one point. So you can see kind of the shimmer of the silver and you can see the layers of what's over what and how, you know, if you drip over another drip, there's a little hump where it goes over that. And like, and it was one of the ones where he had used carpet tacks and just sort of like, like threw those on it. So like, you've got 
you know, it's it almost became this multimedia work because it wasn't just paint on canvas anymore. There was this like third element, and it was just like how everywhere you looked, it's all the same elements, but it's a it's a different you know, it's a different arrangement of those elements. So it's not like you look at it, it's like, oh yeah, that's paint and carpet tacks, whatever, moving on. Like it, it shifts and it changes, but it's like, you know, and maybe in this sense that, you know, it's also similar to sort of minimalist composers and how it's a lot of the same few elements, but they gradually kind of evolve slightly over time and become something slightly different, but you still kind of recognize all the elements and, you know, maybe how they line up is slightly different or whatever, but it's still the same few elements. Um, but, but yeah, it was, it was totally a different experience from any other relation I've had to, to his works. And um, that was sort of, uh, dare I say, a, a spiritual, religious sort of moment where it was just like, yes, like this is... Um, and I've, I've had similar experiences with other abstract art as well. Like I think there's there's been very few works of art that, like I said, that look like something else that I've been like, oh, I'm so lost in this thing. It, it happens sometimes, but, but mostly it's when you have, when you, you can't relate what you're looking at to anything that you know, other than that it's, it's paint. Yeah. And, and, you know, the only thing you're focusing on is, oh, look, this little bit, the paint is thinner, so I can see the texture of the canvas showing through. And, you know, over here, oh, it's this. You can see that there's this color. Or, you know, like, oh, the white got mixed with the red hair, so there's a little bit of pink. Because that was, you know, and that's kind of all you can appreciate it for. Um, and that's one of the things I kind of find odd, too, is that um, Mozart's kind of known for being a sort of absolute music composer. Like, you know, obviously if he's doing an opera or something like that, then it's about something, but it's not, you know, his, his music usually isn't programmatic or anything like that. Like if he writes a symphony, it's only about the structure of the piece of music and this theme and this key, and then this one contrasted by this theme and blah, you know, I mean, as people will... to something like Vivaldi's Four Seasons or Peter and the Wolf. Right, things, exactly. music stands in for something or represents or what happens. Right, yeah. Mozart's symphony is a symphony. Right, yeah. It's, it's music for music's sake. Yeah. yeah. And so it's interesting that, you know, there was a composer doing that centuries ago. And I don't know, was there, was there abstract art back then? I feel like I, I, I don't remember ever seeing art from the past before like the 20th century where it's just like, oh, this is just a bunch of stuff that isn't supposed to be a certain thing. I don't you know. know. Whether, whether it existed, I could say. Whether it would have survived, I couldn't say. But it's not something we pay attention to. Yeah, I, so. I think the the way art has evolved is a, along a different track than music, I would say. Because yeah, there's, there's movements through different periods. Like, there, there's a modern age of literature and Mm -hmm. art and music right and there's a postmodern age of all those things but they're kind of on different they're all moving towards the same ends right in quotations yeah, but like at different frames. stages mm -hmm. the idea of absolute music music for music's sake i think was a lot earlier in music mm -hmm. yeah i mean also Bach too he wasn't like the first one like you know but that's sort of one of the ones that i you know really maybe those are the, I mean, yeah like I said I'm sure there are, there are others you know but but yeah I just find it interesting that that was a thing for so long before we said hey why don't we do that with art too why don't right. we you know just make art about yeah the, the the paint and the canvas and that's all it needs to be about right. you know and, and I mean but the, the influences on art like with the, the uh, 
Catholic Church and right. the kind of things that were valued in that and the things that survived mm-hmm. were these kind of and the idea of photorealism not there were photos back then but like making paintings these kind of like over the top realistic images mm-hmm. kind of serve the same purpose as like film does now it's like mm-hmm. I can see I, these things tell a story in a certain way right so it may, might have st- stayed in that lane for a lot longer than mm-hmm. I don't know yeah I, I'm talking out of my ass <laughs> um, oh it looks not like your face I'm sorry <laughs> I didn't know <laughs> we, should, we should get that fixed I know I should get that checked out <laughs> What were we talking about? Art. Yeah. Art. <laughs> Just stamp it. Yeah. Art. That's probably my least useful contribution <laughs> to any episode of this podcast ever. So uh, I'm, I'm sure this is me fetishizing, but I get the sense whenever I watch a narrative about a creator like this that only through the degradation and the shitty life uh, comes I'm glad you mentioned the this. good fucking art and it, it it's really like I love my life and the way I've developed and not having to overcome those kinds of hardships is is very nice but I'm not fucking Jackson Pollock mm-hmm. and you're not him either right well, <laughs> you're not the only one not fucking Jackson Pollock according to that it, it's just there's something oh. about these these figures these these like Capote has a tragic story. There's a okay, Francis I mean, Bacon has this. The, like, the question of whether suffering begets art is its own discussion, right? Worthy of its own discussion. Yeah. But at the very least, part of the reason I won't say it's a whole reason. Part of the reason we only see films about suffering artists it's who a suffer story worth telling. is because they're interesting characters. No, that's mm-hmm. fair. Mm-hmm. Which is why you know Ray Charles, that Jamie Jamie Fox right. wasn't Ray no, Charles. That's fair. Struggle with heroin addiction and other things. You know. Uh, Bob Dylan it's a whole whole journey that's still happening he's still alive John Lennon was murdered for goodness sakes and had all the drama with Yoko and the rest of the band and the um, rest of the band meaning the Beatles <laughs> just, just that for, I know you didn't mean it to, to be I didn't want to that's those dudes out of Liverpool I just didn't want to list all three names <laughs> being lazy you know and and Pollock had his his whole internal struggle Capote uh, you know name any film about a famous artist and they probably struggled right. or suffered no, um but uh, there's but also the this whole a- thing um even the less than true films like Amadeus you, you get know, that you tortured get the, narrative the drama and the yeah good movie you know just it be, I mean maybe maybe filmmakers are right for all I know if they made a film about a famous artist who didn't suffer maybe I'd be bored to tears watching some normal guy live his life you know Van Gogh and his internal struggles and everything that's that's certainly another tormented soul Um, it's also interesting that the way Harris plays Pollock it's not this thing that's his artistic expression is not something that is desperate to claw its way out of him onto the canvas what he is trying to do is be relevant and innovative and different. He's trying to be relevant in a world where everybody's doing the same thing or everything's been done, right? Mm-hmm. He's trying to redefine and say, what's mine? It's not, 
there's something in him desperate to get out and he has to exercise the demon of artistic inspiration in order to function it's I want to be relevant mm-hmm. and I'm trying to be engage in this thing that I've found that I have some skill in and I understand but I want to redefine it I want to find what it means for me mm-hmm. that's an interesting distinction if we so we can get away from the idea that the tragic tragedy inspires art as a, a trope that I'm totally fetishizing that that's and that's the compelling stories that we're telling but like those two ideas of how artists operate mm. is an interesting dynamic and it was interesting to see that for Pollock it was the the latter where it he's trying to find his own carve out his space in artistic expression rather than exercising a demon mm-hmm. I, I, it was refreshing in this film I know they're they're doing real events so it's not like some writers sat down and decided to defy the trope but it was refreshing in this film with how long his wife stuck with him and how faithfully and then you know after she left she didn't divorce and that was such a nice change from pretty much every other film about a tormented genius I've seen Um, and that not to not to villainize any of the women who who made had real life to worry about and you know but just that with so many of them, the cases they moved through a number of spouses or partners who, you know, eventually the just can't can't handle the challenge anymore or or their their lives or their, themselves change and decide they don't want to or it's not worth it or the person changes and starts to hurt them or whatever. It all it's almost very quick and it happens like sixteen times, you know, but mm-hmm. but in this film it didn't almost didn't at all and then it finally did mm-hmm. but it, it, that was just that was refreshing that was a nice change um, and again like I said they, they didn't sit down and decide we're going to defy this trope that right. you know real life and etc and again a great but, performance oh yeah for sure by everyone involved Holy but but to, to take your point about this wasn't the standard suffering artist story right. not in in the way that the suffering didn't necessarily be at the art and we didn't necessarily get the same home life story either, mm-hmm. you know. It was that was neat. Mm-hmm. It was neat to see that we got another suffering artist story that wasn't just another suffering artist story, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and I wonder if part of why it was so important to 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 address that part of it, because um, I know a lot of the you know the, the criticism of him is that this style developed as a sort of lack of technique like oh well, he didn't know how to paint so this is why he just threw paint on the canvas um, as opposed to him kind of working through all of the right. the the other styles that he you know was supposed to have learned and combined and this this and that and just kind of busting out of that you know and and like when he talks about how you know um that it checked the accident right yeah like it's not about like oh i'm just throwing it here it's like you know he he has the technique in the in the field to be able to know how much paint is going to pour out and to keep that consistent and you know so so there is a technique to what he's doing it's just a very different technique from what you would do i think it's Um, also a philosophical point that he's making too is that it's not an accident that paint is hitting canvas mm -hmm. regardless of the flow or the thickness or what comes out of it mm-hmm. i as artist am making these things conjoin yeah 
So it's not accidental what comes out. Mm -hmm. It's planned. It's methodical. Right. What I'm doing is creating this. Yeah. And, you know, in it's, its, its very simplest form, there was a, a cool story a, a friend of mine told me. He's a, a music teacher. And um, I forget what exactly. I think it was like, I don't know if he, there was like a field trip to like an art museum or something like that. Um, but he was there and like one of his students and that student's dad was there. And they were looking at some piece of art and the dad was like, I could have done that. And the kid was like, yeah, but you didn't. And it was just ah. like that. And, and like my, my, my friend was like so proud of this kid for just being like, oh, like hold on to that, you know. And, mm -hmm. and that's sort of the thing is I feel like a lot of art like that gets brushed off like that. You know, because like I could have done that. It's like, then why didn't you, you know. And, and not that that automatically makes it art, but it's that, um, you know, maybe if, if that person would have done it, like they would have been like, oh, like. This isn't as easy as it looks. Like now, it's just coming out in globs, and this isn't interesting. And it does look random and a mess. And there's too much of one thing and too little of another thing. Like, you know, who who's to say that if if that person who said I could have done that actually tried to do it, if it would have been successful, if it would have looked good, you know, whatever that means, you know. Um, the way I think about it, it's easy to replicate, but it was difficult to do first. Right. Because yeah. nobody had done that before. Right. That concept of putting things together that way had not been done. It seems right. easy to imitate now because, I, like, okay, these are the techniques he used to do it. I can do something like that. Right. But you didn't have the idea to do it in the first place. Yeah. And I think in, in, and what's interesting about that, too, is I feel like that happens a lot in art and music, is that one person will sort of develop a new style, and sometimes there's a sense of ownership over that. Like, oh, well... If anyone else does that, it's like, oh, you're just ripping off Jackson Pollock. And it's like, well, I mean, I'm doing this technique. But it's just like some painter somewhere was the first person to use a brush. So is everyone who uses a brush just ripping off that one painter? You know, like, like no, like you develop this technique and then other people follow you and take you and improve upon it and incorporate it into other elements. You know, you know, same thing that happens a lot like with, um, you know, like with electronic music. You know, it's like if there are certain sounds that are used, it's like, oh, well, that just sounds like this thing this other guy did. And it's like, well, that guy doesn't own that sound forever. You know, like, you know, the first person to write a piece for an instrument, it's not like, well, no one can ever write for the oboe because I'm the first person to write for the oboe, you <laughs> know. <laughs> How do you get two oboes to play in tune? Shoot one of them. Yep. That's a piccolo joke, too. Yeah. How do you know there's a drummer at your door? Uh, are, there, are there like two of these? One of them's like the the knocking speeds up, or yeah, he has your pizza. That's what we're do. That's an English. Uh, major how do you joke know too. there's a soprano at your door? She can't find the key and doesn't know when to come in. <laughs> I used to have a shirt, a T-shirt that was just tiny print lines of like just all. all it was like at least three for every instrument in the orchestra mm -hmm. and some some of the vocal ranges, soprano, mm -hmm. alto, etc. Yeah. What's the difference so. between roadkill and an, uh, uh, bassoonist? There's skid marks in front of the roadkill. What's well, the, the difference between a, I bet you a, that. Dead, I'm sorry. A, a dead bassoonist in the road and a dead guitar player in the road? Guitar is on his way to a gig. <laughs> <laughs> See, the one I know is, uh, is well, it's a, a dead oboist and a dead skunk. So it actually fits both of those. It's number one, the skid marks in front of the skunk, and the skunk was on his way to a gig. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> How do you Can know? you tell we were band geeks? How do you know the stage is level? The viola players drool out of both sides of their mouths? Oh, see, I've heard timpanist. What's the difference <laughs> between a violin and a viola? 
one burns longer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, there's tints you can throw them, etc. Yeah. Or or uh, what's what's bigger, a viola or a violin? They're the same size, the violin players' heads are just bigger. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> That's a good one, actually. How many trumpet players does it take to screw in a light bulb? Ten, one to do it, and nine to say how much better they could have done it. I, I like the uh, four or five. I can count, I swear. Yes, five. It's one to do it, one to complain about how much better he'd done it, and the other three to pull that out from under the first guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Or uh, I like that yeah. one. <laughs> um, pick your favorite arrogant section or instrument. Trumpet. Okay. <laughs> uh, didn't used to play that or anything. Um, how many trumpet players take the screw in a light bulb? One, he holds it and the world revolves around him. That's right. <laughs> What's the difference between a, an alto sax and a lawnmower? <laughs> you can do a lawnmower. Ouch. Um, yeah, as a sax player, um, that one hurts. <laughs> what, uh, what, uh, what do you do when someone is too dumb to play any instruments? You give them two sticks and make them a drummer. Oh. What do you do when they're still too dumb to play the drums? You take, take away one away. stick and make them the conductor. <laughs> hey, and we have reached pinnacle <sighs> joke. Um, okay, what's the difference between a soprano and a Ferrari? <laughs> Most musicians haven't been in a Ferrari. <laughs> it's like, is it, gonna, is it gonna be this one or that one? <laughs> um, what's, oh, God. <laughs> what's, uh, what's the difference between... A soprano and a dog. People care when your dog dies. Oh God! <laughs> um, all right, all right. Um, uh, going back to our discussion about this is about uh, movies, about right? This is the movie mumble uh, podcast, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Go, I'm, I'm trying. Going back to our discussion about did it first? You could have done it, but you didn't. It mm-hmm. part of the problem there is that, and the reason people get upset about it is that even doing it doesn't always matter. You know, like. For all we know, there was some guy in Iowa who did that first. Right. But he didn't have gallery owners traipsing right. through his room yeah, at his wife's New request. York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, oh, go fuck yourself, sort of. What, what makes, you know, mm-hmm. so Paul, like, it wasn't special. It wasn't first, but we don't know. Right, right. And so that's part of the thing that hurts people's motivation or makes them upset about, oh, it was first. It's like, well, maybe. And then even if so, uh, so what? <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, why can't? And then again, what you said about why does what comes, why is what comes after less valuable? Mm-hmm. Is it's that that was just, that was a beautiful sort of why is what comes after less valuable? Because mm-hmm. partly because I want to add on to that about what what you saw first wasn't necessarily first, right? Even though it was yeah. what you saw first, right? Well, and you know, and that's the thing is like the importance. Nobody gives a shit about what you say you can do. It's right. what is actually done. But then you know? even when you do it doesn't mean people are going to care. Right, yeah. So, yeah, so so, so that guy was actually wrong on two fronts. <laughs> like, even if he, he had done it, it still could have been bullshit. Right. That's, that sort of validated him, though. Like, why does it matter that the other guy did it when I could have also done it? Sort of like, you could have responded to his kid, yeah, but even if I had did it, that doesn't necessarily change anything, and not because of me or my effort or my art or my artistic value but because of blind luck of something that has nothing to do with my art or me. Does that make sense? I mean, that also kind of gets into the whole question of the art thing. About what is art. Is that if he would have thrown paint on a canvas, would it have been, if you put it side by side with a Pollock, would you have been like, yeah, these are both equally equally Mm -hmm. good. Again, I'm using air quotes for good because who's to say what's good and what's art and all that stuff. And that's, I mean, that's a whole separate discussion. But um, 
but but yeah but this idea that as a as a criticism of what Jackson Pollock did and the and the arrogance of this other guy thinking that he could have done done that too you know it's like and and again yeah maybe you could have thrown paint on a canvas mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean you would create art i mean you know and you, know, you could look at that with music too i mean look at how much music can be produced now by you know some kid with a laptop and a few apps right. you know um and, and and you know i guess you could say technically it's music because there are sounds yeah. put together you know this that that um organization of sound and silence but you know will that stand the test of time will people hundreds of years from now be like yes i need to listen to that again you know and that's yeah it just it's sort of the thing that tends to irk people probably understandably is that that nebulousness about what art is for a lot of people calls into question the value of what they're seeing in a gallery like if if joel goes and paints watercolors of ducks and i go and paint watercolors of ducks and we paint everything in the same room together and copy each other and then by some weird string of events joel becomes this famous artist and then someone sees one of my paintings on my wall one day and goes oh god how'd you get an original joel lewis Oh, that's mine actually, um, <laughs> and I finished that before he did. We're painting together. I, I finished first, or vice versa. If I'm in the gallery, going, I could have done this. Someone goes, Well, why didn't you? Actually, I did. Right. Uh, well, then why didn't you? Well, For no fault of my own, mm-hmm. he's now the famous one, and that right. that hurts people's perception of of the value of the art. Like they're sort of, why does the value come not from the artist but from this other person? Mm-hmm. It it. it Back, back to what we were talking about, about the gallery owners are the ones who decide, sort of takes the value away for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Like, why did, you know, random person with name who owns space, what is the criteria you're using to decide that this guy's artist and this guy isn't? Mm-hmm. Why you? Why do I care? You know? As opposed to something a little more audience-driven, like music or film, mm-hmm. where the popular consensus can really drive. Because then when I, I go, oh, I thought this was a great film, but literally everyone else who watched it didn't, like okay we have to differ opinion but you sort of have to mm-hmm. concede in that case you know your your opinion has become not necessarily less valuable but just you have to sort of go okay fine I'll, I'll be quieter about it I get it I'm in the I'm, in, I'm the differing opinion here but then when you see art in the gallery and it was just that one person who decided this was art and put it in the, in the gallery there's sort of you don't have that same general consensus mm-hmm. to be with or against Mm-hmm. So your opinion feels like it's stronger, I guess. I'm, 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 I'm not. I don't have an endpoint right now. Yeah. I've been driving, and I'm, I'm. Well, don't know where I'm going. But and I mean, I think one of the things too is like the 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 difference in in your story when you're saying like you also did a painting of ducks. This guy I, did. I mean, okay. He fair. didn't even do a painting of ducks. He's looking at ducks, going, "I could have painted those pictures of ducks. How hard are ducks right. to draw?" But my point there is you know? that even if he had done all the ducks. It might have been irrelevant. He might still be standing there. And even if he'd done them years before this guy had done his ducks, mm-hmm. he might still be standing there with his son going, Damn, this is great. But Does, that's does that make sense? The guy didn't I mean, say this is great. He said, I could have done that. So I don't even think this, in, in the case you're describing, Scott, I don't even think, if you had done it, would you have said, Oh, I should have done this? Or like, what? what's the... the because I don't think the the arrogance in that that specific person 
transfers. Because if you and I did duck paintings in the same room, right, and right, you came to sure. see me as famous duck painter, right, you, what are you going to say looking at my painting to your son? Are you going to say I could have done that, or is like, hey, I used to paint with this guy, or is like my duck paintings? Well, right, are better. either way. But I mean, my point is like that. That like when the kid says, "Oh well, you didn't," the implication is that if he had done it, that was all the difference that was needed. Right. But it's not. And he could have done it, and it could have changed literally nothing. But also, I think it means that if he if he's claiming that he could have done it, and then did do it, and then at least there's some sort of frame of, 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 of reference. reference, I guess. Like, I could walk around going, hey, I could, you know, drive a NASCAR and beat these guys in a race. Hey, I could, you know... Uh, you know, hit a grand slam playing baseball. Hey, I could throw a touchdown from the opposite end end zone. Like, who gives a fuck? See, but like, I get that what, like, what you're saying is that if he had made art, we would have something to judge. And then we could put the two next to each other and there could be a consensus developed about which one was better. But, like... Well, I'm not even saying from my perspective. I'm saying from his perspective. That's what I mean. Like, like anyone can walk he... around and say that you can do something better than someone, but if you never do, like, first of all, how do you know that? Like... Right. And how do you like? I, but then again, no, I, I, I guess but part of your point, point is too that is even, that like people can watch the Olympics all, and say, you know. "Oh, this guy sucked," and it's like you—you you couldn't fucking do that, <laughs> you know? Like, I'm—I'm I'm trying to—I don't—I can't pin it down. My point—my point is like that—that that the effort doesn't. I. You're talking about the idea that it's not just talent; it's not just proximity it's there's a third element of chance that you have to be right place right time mm-hmm. with all these other things yes for that to be the case right which that, i don't think that, is a bad argument at all that, that thank you and that third thing sort of sort of devalues and not everybody's perspective but that particular person's doesn't find value in it because they did it it's sort of it's it's a like i, I still play the piano sometimes and I, I forget where I. So like, if I, I haven't, you know, stuck with it seriously in a while, so I'm not as great as I was. But then let's say we find a kid who uh, is now doing concert tours at 12 years old, but I was playing his pieces when I was eight. You know, mm-hmm. I don't give a shit about him anymore. He's completely worthless to me because, and that's that's valid because I was better, but I didn't get discovered. So then when I stand there and say that could have been me you know anyone else who says oh well why wasn't it it's sort of to put the blame on me is sort of not fair in the same way that to put the blame on the father in that scenario and but I don't, again in this no scenario blame. you, like, you did not... do the work at one point like, right. like again you're saying oh I played that when I was 8 not I've never played that piece but I could do that piece better right. than that we're person we're presuming this dude's a shit kicker okay fair I mean that's, we're, that's the I mean okay sure we're presuming that he's right that he could but my point is that even in the case of a person who could, who we know could and did, you know, it sort of doesn't. Well, that's the thing. Like, the little kid, this kid knows his dad, right? Sure. He's like, I've sure. seen that you have not painted anything. So. Okay, no, sure. And <laughs> He's that's, calling him on his bullshit. And that specificity, sure. Yeah. But my, my point is that, the, that all these other people who feel like they could and just sort of shrug their shoulders at something, that's not an invalid opinion either. No, I. You know, I, we can't just write that off as oh, I'm, you don't see the art. 
Does that make sense? No, I, I don't think we're arguing against you in that. No, I, I don't. I don't, I don't think you are either. I just, I, I don't. Well, I think this is. I'm trying to articulate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think this and is the big thing depends. too. Is the I think the difference between opinion and criticism. You know, yeah. are you are you speaking about how the reaction you were having to the thing or the absolute quality of a thing? Mm -hmm. And maybe that was it to me. Maybe to me, his comment was yes. a criticism of yes. the work. Because if as you go back to, to the piano thing I was talking about, yeah. that kid can be playing perfectly, and I'm still not going to give a shit. You know, the, the figurative kid yeah. who was not as good as me, if you will. Yeah. Right? That's not... Instead of me saying, oh, his music is shit. Like, no, no, he's playing fine. It's good. Mm -hmm. Listen to it enjoy it. But I don't give a shit because... But anyway, I like what you, were, what you were getting at there. And I'm sorry yeah. to put you off now because I want you to keep going. Well, so, <laughs> okay. So, so let's, let's use that sort of piano analogy. Like, so let's say that there's some, some kid who's playing some some piece of piano music and you've never once attempted that piece of piano music and you say i could have played that but 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 you never attempted it and 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 again i guess the 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 discrepancy is are you saying that i guess as yeah, sort of a, a, an observation you of back your, up you hmm? comes down, i mean whether you can back it up is is certainly an important thing that like we don't know one way or the other right but i guess my point there is that you can't like sure, assuming that he could is a big assumption to make, mm -hmm. but assuming that he couldn't is equally unfair, unless we've seen effort and it hasn't measured up. But and, I, yeah. my, my piano analogy was more that it was the ducks thing again. It was quack, quack. it was the person who did, who, if we say like this kid's touring at, I'll I'll change the eight as a bit at fifteen with pieces that I had mastered at ten, mm -hmm. then when I stand there and go, no, I don't think this kid is impressive. I. Like, that doesn't invalidate his success touring, because, I mean, it's still going to happen. And it doesn't invalidate the enjoyment people get from his music. I, part of the problem, and the reason that this discussion only tends, that I could have done that discussion, only tends to happen with modern art. Yeah. <laughs> is because it's much less quantifiable. You know? Mm -hmm. When someone says, I could have played that piano piece, that's something you can, okay, go, go do it. And the guy can come back in a year or a month or whatever mm -hmm. and play the piece, and you can have the two recordings and go, no, this is more technically precise. Right. Or no, this is more technically precise. Mm -hmm. Or the race car driver can have a faster lap. But when it comes to a lot of modern art, you, there's nothing to measure, so you can't. Mm -hmm. and, and So <laughs> what, what the dad is saying is he's passing judgment on a Pollock, mm -hmm. or he's passing judgment, this looks simple, so I could emulate that. But you yeah. didn't, Dad. Yeah, and again, like you said, the kid probably knows his dad. The kid right. probably knows his dad is not an artist. So it's not coming from a place of, I am also an artist. I wish I had done this and had the opportunities. It's, mm -hmm. I know nothing about art. And again, this is the assumption. I know nothing about art, yet I still could have done that. You know, and that's that's why I said, like, with the piano thing, if, you, if you've never played piano a day in your life and you watch someone play something on piano and say, I could do that. And, and again, we're also assuming that is it is it a, a reflection of his um, his experience of the art, or is it a criticism of the art itself? Mm -hmm. And I feel like people, in my experience, tend to criticize the work. They they think mm -hmm. Jackson Pollock is bullshit. Okay, so and, in my analogy of this kid is playing these pieces perfectly, but I'm not impressed because I did them better earlier. Right, because you've still, also done. But them it's still high quality music. The Pollock issue is. Oh my god! I just lost my sentence. Um. 
you're, you're presuming Look, that the Pollock art is lesser than it's easy. It's, it's, right. Instead not, of me saying I'm not impressed, it's me saying that's a shitty rendition. Right, right, right. That's not right. impressive. That's what right. I've been trying to get to. Yeah. Is yeah, that's not impressive, or I'm not impressed. Right. Yeah. That oh. that's the distinction. Oh, we got there. That's just so good. <laughs> and and I mean uh, I guess you could twist it too like there you know the the whole like um, freeform jazz movement movement <laughs> I feel like there's a ton of that where people could be like oh I could do that and it's like it's it's probably one of those things where the people who actually perform freeform jazz like know that there probably is something to I don't know about enough about jazz I'm not I'm not going to pretend like I know about it but enough I respect it enough to say. To those who do it, there probably is something to it. I'm gonna, you know, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. I'm not assuming like, oh, I could just grab a toy trumpet, get up on stage, and do make a bunch of noise. I could, and it's just like, but if I tried to do that, it probably there would, I think there would be a difference. And again, for me to 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 have the audacity to criticize a thing mm -hmm. because I think I could do it because I don't understand it enough to know what's actually behind it, what led up mm -hmm. to it, you know, mm -hmm. um, on a first impression, you know. Um, we're coming back to the subjectivity of art right. and also the precision of language instead of saying god that was an awful film god I didn't like that film right, you know? yeah. which is something we have all all of us and a lot of people we're putting effort into changing our language you right. know, which takes time but I think one of the reasons it comes up with modern art more often comes back to about that unlike more audience driven or more quantifiable things there's just these gallery owners just sort of deciding mm -hmm. you know like it's sort of if, if two guys are driving cars and you have some guy who goes uh, yeah he's the better driver you can sort of go no 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 this guy had the better lap faster lap mm -hmm. so he's the better racer period but you you can't do that with with, could have to do with, with art car, you can't ever this, say this guy had the faster "Quote unquote figurative faster lap mm -hmm. in art." So really, if one gallery owner goes, "Person A is the better artist," for all you know, some other gallery owner from the gallery across town would have said "Person B," because mm -hmm. that's the person in their gallery. <laughs> sure, <laughs> yeah. right? But that, like, so that that sort of there's there's nothing to, not nothing, but there's much less to to measure. It's more subjective. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, if we go back to the piano thing, there's, there's sort of a, whether I'm impressed or not, there are a lot of people who can hear the music and then say that was done well or that was done poorly. Mm -hmm. And it's completely a separate issue from whether I'm impressed or not. But that, especially with, with, with this less than quantifiable art, you know, with, with if, you, if, you're, if you're, like if you're trying to paint a renaissance piece there are certain technical things you have to match right and at the end of the day whether the painting is enjoyable or not or likable or not you can say pretty definitively no this is not renaissance style mm. or yes this is renaissance style right but you can't do that in modern art right <laughs> so it, the whole thing sort of comes down to just an argument between people about this is art this isn't art I agree I disagree it's mm -hmm. sort of the lack of anything quantifiable naturally invites that sort of uh that sort of disdain to the medium yeah well and, and i think yeah that's another like yeah bringing up again is or is art or isn't art 
I think that's part what of it is, too. Like to me, that that sort of comment is a way of saying I could do this, therefore it isn't art. So it, it's mm. it's it's drawing mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. objective line in the sand, saying this goes on the side of things that isn't art because because I could drawing do it, a know. broader conclusion from a narrower right. opinion. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and narrower, you know, yeah, yeah. Like maybe experience even, you know, again, mm-hmm. like we're assuming exactly. this kid knows his dad doesn't it's, paint. Yeah, sure. Um, then again, maybe he's a photorealistic painter, and that's why. <laughs> right, yeah. You know. And, and uh, you know, it's interesting, though, and, and this is going to sound like a criticism, but I don't mean it this way because, I, you know, I, I want to have a broad idea. But there are those, you know, those Bob Ross paintings and those Bob Ross classes you can take. Mm-hmm. I, I know a bunch of people who have taken those classes and I've seen the paintings they do and they look amazing. Like they right. look like something yeah. like an actual professional artist can do. So if you can look at that and be like, I could paint that. If I took this one hour Bob mm-hmm. Ross style class, I could paint that. Does that mean that it's not art? No. You know, I mean, and again. It is, so it comes back to, and, and painting especially, but all of art sort of is the experience you get from it. Mm-hmm. And you and no one else. You know, if I look at this painting and go, oh, you know, it makes me feel like, oh, that's art. And no one else on the entire planet does it. They all look at it and go, oh, it's just something people put on the canvas. It's still art to me. Yeah. You know? Again, in terms of your, we could put up, you know, a Bob Ross painting and a Bob Ross class painting next to each other Mm -hmm. and have people come through and say, please, you know, tell us which one you think is the Bob Ross. Right. Some people will say A, some people will say B. (laughs) Yeah. Which one is art? Which one isn't art? (laughs) None of that invalidates any of what the people felt as they looked at those paintings. Right. You know? It's, 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 so subjective mm-hmm. you can't really in the same way that 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 lack of measurable comparison invites disdain and disregard it also shields the works from any kind of from any, any disregard mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah unlike the film we ended up talking about what is art <laughs> <laughs> yeah Whoops! I guess we're not as well, good as good entertainment makers as Ed Harris. Or maybe we're better. Well, uh-huh. what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, and it, it, it's funny too. Like I always feel like it's the safer bet to just be like, sure, it is art. Mm. You know, let's talk about how we feel about it as art. Sure. But as opposed to dismissing it as not being art, you know. Mm. Um, and and another thing this always gets into too is like, you know, me having a degree in music. You know, like I sometimes feel like rather than having more expertise in a conversation, I feel like I have to back off more because no one gives a shit that I have a degree. It's about how people perceive things, you know. Mm. And um, so it's kind of this weird dynamic where it's like, well, I've studied these different periods and I've studied, you know, in terms of composition about how, you know, phrasing and structure and how what makes things more effective to listeners, what makes things. and, And I know that, like, you can follow these sort of rules and 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 it's it's interesting too like when i hear people talk about quote-unquote formulas with different art and it's like music has a ton of formulas like most of the pop music has formulas you know Mm -hmm. this song form with choruses and verses and you know in sonata form you know it's this basic structure they follow and you know and and there'll be variations and playing with expectations but not every single piece of music ever written has been you know built from the ground up from scratch like oh this is all new ideas that no one's ever thought of before you know so that's sort of the thing too is this idea of a, p- a piece of art or music being 100% original from the beginning is bullshit you know it's it's all it's all built on someone else's shoulders you know 
Um, or whether you're mimicking and altering or completely contrasting, you know, it's still built with that other stuff in mind. Um, mm. But, but you know, again, like, I, I know all this and I've studied all this, but it doesn't mean shit because, like, you know, if, if someone's like, oh, yeah, this, this you know, piece of music or this song, whatever, is, is terrible. And it's like, oh, well, what's terrible about it? Like, I don't know. I just, I don't like the cello. It's like, oh, okay. Like, yes, you, you, you can have that opinion and that's, and that's fine. But like, back to the, the control in your language that instead of saying, this is terrible, saying, I, I hate this like piece. The <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And that yeah. it, which is such a subtle thing to, to, to change in yourself mm -hmm. that you have to really work at it. You know? Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's part of what, what the degree was, is, like I said, learning mm -hmm. the, the vocabulary for all of these elements. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, don't rightfully so because they don't have a master's in composition. And that's understandable, you know. Um, but it's, you know, and it's, it's funny, especially nowadays where you get this sense of, like, you know, on social media, people kind of throwing stuff around like, oh, I, I saw this in a meme, so it must be true and this, this, and that. And then you have people who actually study things and are expertise in things and they come in and they try to say things and they're like, but wait, no, I actually know this because I have multiple degrees in this. And it's like, well, fuck you, that's fake news. And it's like, okay, you know, and it's like, and I know this is a different thing because I'm talking art, not science, but it's, it's just funny to kind of be on that end of the things where it's just like, well, you know, the good things about this or this, this, and this, but I know that, you know, that's, your your opinion and your you know you you get to have that and I don't have to tell you that your opinions are not going the, to and, the you know. feedback loop of learning enough to doubt yourself sort of thing yeah of, yeah oh I, yeah that, I that's now a good understand, way <laughs> that's my life <laughs> yeah I now understand how little, little I, I know. actually know yeah. so I'm not an expert and I should probably shut up but then there are always people who know less than you yeah but they're more confident. more confident et cetera et cetera right. what's the um, the quote uh, from the the philosopher I. The oracle said I alone was the wisest of all the Greeks, and that was because I alone of all the Greeks know that I know nothing. <laughs> it's Socrates. Is it Socrates? Maybe. As quoted by right? Plato in the Republic. Yeah. It's probably the dialogues, actually. Sure. But it was Socrates that Plato Spoken. was quoting, yeah. not Plato. Right. I, don't, I can never recall. I yeah. Didn't get a classics degree. <laughs> I was one credit away from having a philosophy major. Oh. That is yeah, I was like, the perfect description of undergrad for me. Yeah. I was about mm. a class away from a history minor by the time I finished. <laughs> but, oh well. It wasn't even a class. It was one credit. Yeah, geez, though. That's, oof. <laughs> just take, like, one week of the class. <laughs> and then just present your argument, and then they... <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. We've bashed art enough. I don't want to bash philosophy too, <laughs> unless philosophy is art of a kind. It's it's all bullshit. Everybody, strap in. Three more hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and the thing I've tried to do for myself in 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 terms of art and things like that too. And and again, I know I can't force this on other people, but like if there's if there's something that I dislike, I I try to eat. Allow other people who like it to try to like explain to me. Like I assume, like maybe there's something I'm missing, and maybe that's part of the thing too with the whole thing with the dad and the kid. Like instead of the dad being like, "Oh, I could have paint that," and again with the implication that therefore it's not art, maybe being like, "Well, why is this considered art? Like, what is it about this that people say yes, I want to look that, I want to put it in a gallery?" Like, like instead of assuming that this thing that since you know the, the 40s 50s or 60s has been you know looked upon as like this this beacon of where art is headed 
like no no you're right it's not art because you could have done it you know like instead mm-hmm. maybe stop and learn for a minute you know and that's that's sort of the the third the thing i try to do and i i try to also take the approach if i'm sort of you know music geeking out to someone i try to take the approach of like well here's here's this perspective it's not it's not fact because it is art you know like i can tell you up and down every note of this piece but it doesn't mean it's going to make you like it any better but maybe it might inform your next listening of this and you might catch other things that give you a new appreciation because I, I i noticed that's happened to me with with things too <laughs> like, like we talk about spider-man 3 you know like you know where it's like i want to like this let me let me see if the, if it will grow and let me see if there's things that i'm not getting that that you know maybe it was crafted well and i missed something maybe you know and, and i think that's, that's where i kind of distilled that there are good parts but there are flaws and you know that's that type part of, thing. of the and, purpose of the podcast right to, yeah to go over new things with new perspective i i can't recall now what film i was talking to john about that i had really not liked beforehand and just hearing him talk about it not even watching the film again mm-hmm. but just hearing him talk about it went wow i whoa like i totally changed my perspective mm-hmm. um and that you know so if, if that hopefully that'll happen here at some point when some perspective changes i there have already been i know some changes just in terms of new things you know john brought me brought us i'm sorry chopping mall which i own that movie now (laughs) (laughs) there you go you know i i'm not a huge fan of a lot of the movies that typified the 80s typified the 80s and then not a huge fan of slasher movies but man i love chopping mall i am now a fan of and i i now want to go explore more of them you know so that yeah we're coming back to the the one of the purposes of the podcast Mm -hmm. he's done here well done tim well done indeed it's Thanks. just yeah it's great <laughs> no really well done really, I, we were talking Joel and I were talking the other day about um, John Wayne movies one of his films is my most hated film ever but even just even after I said that sentence to Joel I immediately rewritted it and it was like you know what no I've learned so much now since then you know, no you know what I'm gonna watch it again and I do intend to Joel if you, I don't know if you want to make you an episode or if we just want to go watch it, but I it's, absolutely it's want to watch Sans it again. Sans Viajuma. And I want to do it with you. If that, I want down. you to talk to me about it. Yeah, for change sure. My, change my mind, please. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and not not out of some sort of, oh, I'm being noble or what have you, but I, out of, I just, I want to give it a fair shake and I've changed as a person, so maybe I think differently. And then besides all of that, if I can turn something that I've hated into something that I enjoy and make a piece of my life brighter... Why would I not do that? Yeah. Why wouldn't I do that? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sans of Iwo Jima. Who doesn't to say I hate John Wayne films? I've seen a good number of his films, and there are plenty <laughs> that I love. So, yeah. But that, that'll, that's its own discussion. Oh, sure. Maybe its own episode. Who knows? Mm-hmm. So maybe that'll be our change my mind. We'll do a whole cycle. Ooh. Each of us will write down a film that we can't stand. Oh, good lord. And then watch it and try to change our mind. I don't know if that'll work as well as in sense of Iwo Jima's case Joel loves it and I don't so I have a it, it, it has an advocate here mm-hmm. maybe this won't, we'll have to like I, I make feel long like lists and find one that someone can advocate for, for. for the yeah, one yeah. I would put but... down there are, there's an advocate in the group okay Scott you <laughs> <laughs> which it, one's that it would probably be either BBS <laughs> or Justice League oh okay <laughs> sure those are really recent damn <laughs> yeah. yeah and very fresh in my mind <laughs> no, so fair. that yeah. would be fair. that would definitely be mine yeah. tune in, tune in. Oh. <laughs> since, since we've said it what would yeah. you think about um, 
what would my pick be for that? Yeah. I, I, I mean... Put you on the spot. Probably Spider-Man 3. I mean... Okay. Mostly because, again, like, it wouldn't be for the point of being like, no, no, this is a great film, guys, but like... Right. Like, let's, let's, let's... Yeah, to yeah, kind of like, what, what were the parts that were good? What were Which the parts isn't what I would be what trying were... to do for Joel with the DC films. Like, mm-hmm. God, but there's, you know, pinnacles of the superhero movie. It's just that I had fun. And so I would want to just like be... Hey, I bet you I can make this fun for you too. Yeah, not, like you know. I wanted to have fun, and that's right. that's that. Maybe that's what it is. Is like this is a movie I wanted to enjoy. Yeah, let's just I figure out where it went wrong. Or needed someone else to figure out how how to how I can enjoy it. You know, how yeah. to enjoy it for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, and that's, ooh, I like this idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the thing too. Like I, I, for the most part, feel like I'm not that type of person who goes into something like this better be perfect or I'm going to hate it. It's like most of the time, like I want to enjoy what I'm watching. It takes a lot for me to be sort of pulled out of that experience and kind of like punched in the face and saying like, Hey, this part is stupid Mm -hmm. and it sucks, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and, and you know, very few movies have actually done that. And those are the ones where I'm just like, Hey, like, remember this part here? Like that, that took me out of the movie, you know? (laughs) Well, in one of those moments, because this is relevant to what we were talking about is Wonder Woman's theme in Batman vs. Superman. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, like that just totally like punched me in the balls. I was just like, what is happening right now? Yeah, Tim can't stand. For those of you who don't know, the the not electric guitar, right? Electric um, cello. Electric cello. That is not a joke. We're completely serious. Yeah. Look it up. Um, and now that's the ringtone which, which for he when Tim calls me on my phone. At least that way I don't have to hear it. And that bit of music was so grating to him that it you know, damaging the experience. Right. Um, it was... But then in the actual Wonder Woman film, instead of using that part of the theme, they used other parts extensively. Right. Well, uh, and, you know, and, yeah, and they started <laughs> you know, with that, him. but then the composer, like, went and did all this other really great mm-hmm. stuff. I, mm-hmm. I forget who the composer is, and I apologize for the actual Wonder Woman film, but he, he was great. I loved what he did. And, yeah, like, and I understand he would have had to reference her theme, so I got that, but then, like, the fact that it moved away from that, I was like, yes. But just, yeah, that, that you, you've given us a great example. There are so many reasons we may or may not like a film, mm-hmm. some of which are changeable and some of which aren't, and it just, yeah, it'll be nice to re-examine some things. I, yeah. I like that idea Me for too, a, a change-my-mind sure. cycle. Yeah. Um, in keeping with that, uh, we actually will have our, our, so this is the end of our third cycle. Our Woo! fourth cycle Woo! will be themed actually yeah uh before i want to talk about that i want to ask if there's anything else you all want to talk about for this episode or for pollock i am i don't want to just cut us off so we we did we want to do a situational movie recommendation i have one that would be pretty quick oh sure we could do that real quick yeah Yeah, sure please so what is a movie that you can put on to fall asleep to Crayon Scotsy. The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Oh, but I, I say that not as an insult, but actually oh, as a compliment. That the film this. just entrances me so well <laughs> that if I sort of choose to, I can you know focus on it and pay attention to it. But if I choose not to, right, I'm still glad to have it on. Most films, if I'm not watching them, I'm going to turn them off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, either because it's a waste or it's an annoyance. Kiana Scotzi doesn't just have to be watched it can also just be there yeah it's an advantage I would say of yeah that. and well, that's, plus, that yeah. is my answer I'm not just yeah 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 well and if you when you wake up it's not like oh no I missed a, a plot point right. I don't, I'm lost in the right. film now in the narrative you know it's like hmm. I just I also tend to latch on really easily especially to speaking mm-hmm. and to focus on it and it keeps me up you know so if I'm gonna sleep it needs to not have words on their dialogue yeah which Kyle Scott's, he doesn't. And then if I'm I'm going to put on a silent film, it's no point. I've just got moving shadows. But Kyle mm-hmm. Scott's, he still has sound. Right. 
but not not sound that my mind perks up at and goes, ooh, what was that? You know, mm-hmm. just, yeah. So with with respect as an advantage that right, I right. can enjoy that film in two ways. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. What's yours? I need to think a little bit more. That wasn't my real answer. <laughs> it hurt my soul. Um, most recently, it's been Jurassic Park. And it's not yeah. out of... It, I, I brought it up recently, and Tim said, what the fuck's wrong with you? <laughs> um, it, it's, it's something I enjoy so primally, because I've watched it, like, growing up so much. And just the... Like, until we get to, like sharp tooth murder like it's like this is a film yeah, with wonder just and it's just a, re- adventure. a really mm-hmm. really satisfying movie and I mean Tyler and I will talk about it. it's like man this is great this is the one like every time it's like I believe everything in it it's really satisfying nothing pulls me out of it and just it's comfortable and I can go to sleep to it mm-hmm. great score if I were to give in a given a more more typical film I'd be guessing, maybe Indiana Jones. Ooh. I haven't done it, you know, fault, mm. but but because just because Indiana Jones gives me such a comforting familiarity with my childhood, yeah. that it might might be able to do that. Although it might not, just because I, I would just this dialogue would happen and my mind would sort of hear it and go, uh, you know, right. I don't know. I'd, I'd take a stab in the dark at that. Mm-hmm. I could add that on a bit yeah. and bite him some more time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think probably... You say The Matrix. <laughs> no, 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 actually not for this one. Um, Matrix reference. Pro- <laughs> Twice. <laughs> probably, um, well, this because this one happened recently, but The, the Lord of the Rings. Because um, mm. it is one of those where, you know, I've seen it enough times, so I'm not going to be like, oh, wait, what's going on? Yeah, you're familiar enough with it that yeah. you, know, you don't and, need to worry about right you've done that already you know and you're kind of yeah you're in this world and if you're gonna like slip into dreamland it's kind of a cool place to be mentally as you're doing that and then coming out of it and you know like even you know depending on how tired I am even if it's just like oh god there's this intense battle going on right back out it doesn't matter so you know like you can kind of come in and out of that or if if something exciting is happening it's really loud and you kind of wake up you're like oh good okay I'm, I'm awake for this part of it plus in terms of Someone who sometimes has trouble falling asleep. It's long enough. Yeah. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. You know, you can still fall asleep to it. Right. Um, either that or maybe even, like, you know, similar sort of thing, like, with, with Star Wars movies, you know? Like, if I fall asleep during A New Hope, it's like, yeah, I'm not going to wake up lost. You know, it's like, wait, where, what happened? What's going on right. now? Who's that hairy guy? You know, somewhere comfortable and home. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, so, and probably any one of those to some degree, because I feel like, you know, they're familiar enough but also like <laughs> probably be more advantageous with something like episode one because it's like okay oh I woke up just in time for the lightsaber like, battle with you know not the pod race not I 12. like the pod race <laughs> but you know uh, and well that was that was sort of a thing um, when I when I went back and watched the whole Star Wars saga in order before seeing episode seven I was kind of like cleaning the house as I was watching it and I would sit down whenever there was a moment that kind of enthralled me and I, I assume this situation would be similar if I was like okay I'm just gonna put on one Star Wars film after another and just fall asleep as I as I you know come in and out and I feel like that would be the thing is as I went from episode to episode I would be staying awake for longer chunks of time because the m- films would be more engaging and there'd be more scenes that I would want to be awake for and catch um, 
but yeah and again it's it'd, it'd be a cool world to be kind of lost in as you're going into dreamland and coming in and out of it and yeah absolutely that was a good one Joel yeah yeah I like it yeah satisfying and quick that was, <laughs> that was great 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 question <laughs> that was my nickname in college yeah, yeah. yes <laughs> that's I don't know. It's not a bad nickname. It's not a bad nickname, especially yeah. the satisfying bit. You know, that that's the main thing. And it's mm-hmm. first, like it came, yeah. it came first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you. Mm-hmm. That, um, <laughs> well, I guess actually, well, no, I guess I mean, like, her. Here's the, the nail for you, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> no, the nail's already in. It's already in the wall. I came along with. A, a different, not correct hammer for the job, and just gave it another whack because I felt like I could. Um, so, all right. So uh, yes, this, this episode and this this uh, sex joke concludes our <laughs> third series. Fittingly, concludes our third cycle. In keeping with the idea that our recaps are optional, uh, we will have another cycle recap. We hope you'll tune in for that. But because I'm not going to put crucial info in there, because yeah. um, you're welcome to skip those. Our next cycle will be themed, our, uh, our fourth cycle, Ooh, and the theme will be guilty pleasure movies. <laughs> so uh, we'll still we'll stick to the typical order: Joel, Scott, Tim. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, Tim, and I are not going to reveal our films yet. I don't. Okay. I guess you know, for themed cycles, we could maybe do that. But I, I want to keep yeah. the mystery. Okay. I want to stick with our, our regular, mm-hmm. you know, sequence. Um, we got to keep that episode-to-episode episode sizzle. Right. Yeah, especially because it's not like the films are going to be similar to each other. Right. Right. If, if that was the case, I might give you a warning. Like, yeah. oh, we're going to just watch silent films. God, I hate silent films. Then yeah. I might give you a warning. Hey, please skip. Nah, these will be different. Uh, but Joel, please, what will we be watching in, in episode 10? Y'all are not ready for this. <laughs> we're going to watch Gods of Egypt. Mm-hmm. And I would not even qualify this as saying it was a guilty pleasure. I thoroughly enjoy this film. Yeah, I, am I think staunch these are all just going to be films that we just enjoy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we're we're not supposed to like. Yeah. We enjoy them, but other people don't. But we don't yeah. feel guilty. We right. feel no shame There's on this no podcast. <laughs> this... You have, you've heard enough by yeah. now to know that we feel no shame on this podcast. So it uh, it's... I'm, I'm not going to give any details. Like, it's, it's in the name. Gods of Egypt. It delivers exactly what it promises, and it's a fun-filled romp. And I'm yeah. so stoked to share it with you guys. Mm. That'll be fantastic. This will be really fun. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. <clears throat> yeah, a nice, lighthearted cycle. Yeah. be great. Do we want to? Do we want to give a, a heads up of what we have planned for 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 beyond that? We've kind of you know we've talked about sort of yeah, our plans. Yeah, some for the ideas rest of in the, the pipeline in yeah. general. Yeah, I, maybe we can start uh, talking that certainly up. Certainly more themed cycles, mm-hmm. uh, including maybe some some sort of I guess I'll say bonus cycles. Mm-hmm. Like in the month of October, uh, we're gonna um, do bonus thank you. cycles. Thank you. I just because um, <laughs> we didn't say bonus episodes. It's special, oh, special. episodes. It is. That's but I, the, I didn't the want to sort of verbiage, uh, rehash special. You know. No, I took I took the lead. Yeah, but it was really you. really delayed. It's getting no, no, late, it's quite folks. Right. But um, <laughs> you know, so these might even we might publish them more quickly even you know. So for Tim was saying Halloween. Yeah. We might month pick of October Halloween related films that just all come out within the month yeah, yeah. Uh, or, or holiday related films yeah, or December, December. good summer movies you know or uh, 
what have you. So, but you know, some something it is, or even just something things that might focus on certain franchises. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a in a few couple of years, we'd be able to break the Star Wars franchise down into three trilogies. That'd be if amazing. we wanted to do one show right. per episode, yeah. or one of those weird, you know, one four seven two five eight sort of what? sequence. If you wanted to do that, would be fun. Right, <laughs> whatever. The point yeah. is, um, we're, we're thinking about order. more more consistent cycles, either as bonus cycles. You know, I guess it's dead. All right, great. Um, that just, you get one. Yeah, well, thank you. Fine, I tried to start something. No notes. Here. Um, <laughs> But um, either as bonus cycles that just just come out on their own, you know, so you still get our usual steady one month, once a month flow of just unrelated films, um, or maybe you know if we if we we might just make a regular cycle of three months into something if we think there's enough there. Yeah, yeah. Because if we're releasing the regular episodes on the first Sunday of the month, we could we mm-hmm. have you know three other Sundays to play with. Yeah could do a whole other cycle yeah like like sure. we're planning for october so. our, our favorite halloween films mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so the, yeah, we're thinking about that sort of thing so. yeah uh, big doings know. are coming yeah, yeah i hope you all think that sounds like a good idea and like you know i guess as always you can just skip the episodes you don't like <laughs> fair <laughs> enough yeah but it will make us sad yeah, yeah. And we'll, you'll we'll miss all we'll of our know. dick jokes <laughs> uh, and all of our blockbuster references yeah uh, and matrix references and shtick stealing. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> so. a newer development. <laughs> all right. Thank you all so very much for joining us, listeners. We hope to see you next time. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. Hey, listeners. We appreciate you tuning in for our podcast. We're now available on iTunes if you'd like to check us out there. We'd be glad to have you subscribe. We'd also love to hear your feedback, whether it's a comment, review, or anything else. You can reach us all through our official Nerds That Geek emails, which you can find on the bio page at nerdsthatgeek.com. Or, if you can find us on social media, I'm on Instagram at Scott underscore W underscore Murray. And then on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at Joel T18. And on Instagram, I'm the Tim Gerard. And on Twitter, I'm at Tim Gerard. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope you'll come back for more.